This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, we have an action-packed show for you today. Coming up in about 20 minutes, we're going to talk with the Republican Party designee for governor. He is a congressman from Long Island, Lee Zeldin. And uh, it is Thursday, so we're going to do the AC report with Michael Traeger at 3 o'clock. He's sort of an ex- expert in the gambling aspect of things. And then in the 2 o'clock hour, if you are a fan of classic cinema, you will enjoy my interview with Ben Mankiewicz. We'll discuss movies. We'll discuss – he's a political commentator as well. Uh, We'll discuss uh, the Academy Awards coming up on Sunday and Citizen Kane, which was written, of all people, by his grandfather along with Orson Welles. Now, there was an interesting – there were two editorials that I read over the last couple of days that really stuck with me. Both are essentially about the same thing. One was in the New York Times, one was in the Wall Street Journal, two newspapers that generally are uh, on opposite ends of the political spectrum. But they both had to do with free speech. And I found myself agreeing with just about every word of them. I just linked to the uh, New York Times editorial, and I'll I'll link to the Wall Street Journal uh, editorial in a few minutes. The New York Times editorial is called America Has a Free Speech Problem. And I I found myself in enthusiastic agreement with the verbiage, but then they cite some poll numbers from this Pew Research poll that I'm going to share with you, and then I want to ask your solution. To this, So as I read you the words of this editorial and cite these poll numbers for you, I want you to call in at 800-848-WABC. First, tell me if you agree or disagree. Does America have a free speech problem? And then two, if you do think that America has a free speech problem, what do you think the solution is? 800-848-9222. This is from The Times. For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public 
without fear of being shamed or shunned. Amen. Amen. This social silencing, this depluralizing of America, has been evident for years. But dealing with it stirs yet more fear. It feels like a third rail, dangerous, for a strong nation and open society that is dangerous. How has this happened? In large part, it's because the political left and the right are caught in a destructive loop of condemnation and recrimination around cancel culture. Many on the left refuse to acknowledge that cancel culture exists at all, believing that those who complain about it are offering cover for bigots to peddle hate speech. Many on the right, for all their braying about cancel culture, have embraced an even more extreme version of censoriousness as a bulwark against a rapidly changing society with laws that would ban books, stifle teachers, and discourage open discussion in classrooms. Many Americans are understandably confused about what they can say and where they can say it. So I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I have to tell you, I agree with everything in this editorial, and I just linked to it. You could read the whole thing if you want. It's on my Facebook page, Facebook page doc, uh, facebook.com slash fan. So this poll, and, and I hate to do stories or topics based on polls because I, I've been around politics long enough and around polling long enough to know that you can make a poll say whatever it is that you want it to say. Want it to say. But I do think, just based on my anecdotal experience with people, I do think these poll results ring true. So this is a survey from the Pew Research Center and the Knight Foundation, and it reveals a crisis of confidence around the question of free speech. Here's the question. Over the past year, have you held your tongue because you were concerned about retaliation or harsh or harsh criticism. Fifty five percent of people said yes. And here was what was so interesting about this. It was only forty nine percent of men. But it was sixty one percent of women. Isn't that interesting? The men. I mean, it's a big problem for everybody. But the men are more likely to say whatever they want. And 61% of women are more likely to hold their tongue. Isn't that interesting? Wondering why you think that's the case. 800-848-9222. Here's the breakdown along party. Democrats, and this is a problem for everybody. Democrats were 52%. 52% of them said yes. They were likely to hold their tongue because they were concerned about retaliation or harsh criticism. For Republicans, it was 58%. That number doesn't surprise me as much because I know how uncomfortable it is to be an avowed Trump supporter. You worry about losing friends. You worry about losing, uh, you know, business associates. You worry about losing clients. And here's what, what almost as high as the number with women, the number of people 
age 18 to 34 that said they had held their tongue, 61%. 61%. So the group most likely to hold their tongue is a Republican female young person. Over the past year, have you retaliated against or harshly criticized another person because of something he or she said? 77% said no. 22% said yes. Now, that's harsh. 22%. That's a high number. Sometimes people will write to me and say, oh, I can't believe you had so-and-so on. They said so and such and such about about this group or that group or this group or that group 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I got an email from a listener the other day who said um, something to the effect of, oh, I can't believe you had this person on. I'm against cancel culture, but that person, the things that he said about Israel, you can't give a platform to someone like that. And my response in part was, look, for me, being against cancel culture is not canceling people. Question three in this Pew Research poll, how much of a problem is it that some Americans do not exercise their freedom of speech in everyday situations out of fear of retaliation or harsh criticism. Now, I think that's a very serious problem. Um, 40% of Americans agree with me. 44% said it's somewhat serious. So 84% of the population said it's either somewhat serious or very serious. So the we've discussed government restrictions on free speech. The other day... In the context of YouTube and Twitter, as it relates to the Babylon Bee and our being suspended by YouTube, we've discussed corporate censorship on free speech. But one issue that I don't know that we've discussed in a while is self-censorship on free speech. And I, I got to tell you, I loved this New York Times editorial. Um. of respondents said they had held their tongue over the past year because they were concerned over retaliation. That is a big problem. So we've discussed government censorship. We have discussed corporate censorship. What do we do about self-censorship? How do we make it so that whether it's on the radio or on college campuses or in the workplace, or in a bar, or on a first date, that people feel free to speak freely. How do we do it? What's the solution? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So this other editorial that came out, I guess it was Sunday, which I also really liked, um, Yale Law Students for Censorship, that's the subject. And it's all about how students at Yale Law School recently disrupted speakers in an example of cancel culture that's now so common on college campuses. Now, uh, a senior federal judge is advising his judicial colleagues against hiring the protesting students for clerkships. That's outrageous. So this March 10th panel at Yale 
was intended as a debate over civil liberties. It was hosted by the Yale Federalist Society, and it featured Monica Miller of the Progressive American Humanist Association and Kristen Wagner of the Alliance Defending Freedom. That's a conservative group. The two broadly agree on protecting free speech despite their differences on the issues. A hundred or so students heckled and tried to shout down the panel and the Federalist Society members in attendance. One protester told a member of the conservative legal group she would, quote, literally fight you, B-word, according to the Washington Free Beacon, which obtained an audio and videotape of this ruckus. Now, the amazing thing is, no punishment seems forthcoming from Yale Law School, even though they supposedly have a policy barring protests that disrupt free speech. But the event prompted Judge Lawrence Silberman of the Court of Appeals of the D.C. Circuit to write the following letter to all of his fellow judges last week. The latest events at Yale Law School in which students attempted to shout down speakers participating in a panel discussion on free speech prompts me to suggest that students who are identified as those willing to disrupt any such panel panel discussion should be noted. All federal judges and all federal judges are presumably committed to free speech should carefully consider whether any students so identified should be disqualified for potential clerkships. What say you? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Bob Grant used to begin every show by saying, welcome to a program dedicated to the free and open exchange of ideas and of opinions. Well, it's getting harder and harder to find places where you can have a free and open exchange of ideas and of opinions because of the government, which is not as much of a problem as the other two things, but it's still a problem because of corporate censorship from big tech and other entities and because of self-censorship. People don't want to say something that's going to get themselves canceled. They don't want to say something that's going to get them make themselves unpopular at a dinner party. Look, I get it. Uh, I get it. Nobody wants to be the one who is scorned. Nobody wants to be the one who is ridiculed at the dinner party. No one wants to be the one that uh, they're taking on a 10 on one fight. So what ends up happening? You end up only feeling comfortable talking with people that you agree with. And that's a real shame. Because that's the opposite of what I think we need. 800-848-WABC. Uh, read this New York Times op-ed because it was one of the best editorials that I've read in some time. 800-848-WABC. Let me begin with Andrew on Staten Island. Hello, Andrew. Frank, how are you? I'll, I am doing just fine. Thank you. Okay, so ultimately this this whole cancel thing, this whole shutting down of free speech, it all starts at school, whether it's, uh, you know, at grade level, high school, and obviously college. The, the professors, the tenured professors in this country are, are beyond repair. Where it stems from, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, you had your typical classical liberal uh, professor who would engage in, uh, you know, in, in debate. 
and uh, it, it's out the window. I got two nephews. One just graduated from Binghamton, the other one from Albany, and they're, they're rock-solid conservatives. They kept their mouth shut for four years. They kept their mouth shut for four years. You know, let me get my grades. I'm not going to say There's nothing in the debate. They, they won't talk to you. So I think, well, you, you're seeing what's happening now with the American uh, Bar Association. I guess that's what it's called, ABA, with, uh, you know, the, the American Law uh, Group now all of a sudden having a, a climate initiative and if you if all the you know look at look at disney okay i mean this is this is serious stuff now okay it's communism you and i both know this all comes from the frankfurt school it, it, it's it's here it's that whole bernie sanders Saul Alinsky uh method of of thinking and it's spreading like wildfire i i, you know, I don't even know what to say you know <laughs> What do you do? The teachers are the ones to blame, not the parents, not TV, not the. It all comes from the schools. Is that so why you think? Blame, is that why you think this poll, this Pew Research poll, shows that the rate of of young people that are afraid to speak their mind is so much higher than the rate of older people because those are oh. folks that have been conditioned by by professors and teachers. Of course. I mean, look, Frank, I have a couple of kooky aunts. I love them. You know, they're liberal. You know, I could kid around with them a little bit, I, you know, in, in a fun way, but debate and, and they'll, you will never get that in the, in the under 30 crowd. You just won't. Interesting. Interesting. Won't. A, a great call, Andrew. Thank you. Look, I, I, again, um, I, I agree with many of the aspects of this Times piece. I don't think it's just the, uh, the, the, the left. I think it's the right as well. I mean, um, try and go to a, a Republican meeting and say something critical of Donald Trump. See how that goes over. Additionally, uh, some of the laws that have been passed, um, you know, in the names of doing things like restricting critical race theory really do hinder hinder free speech. Um, so I, I look, I do think socially conservatives are much more likely and I'm speaking anecdotally as somebody that keeps company with a lot of conservatives and a lot of liberals, I think anecdotally conservatives are much more likely to not shame you and not shout you down because of who you voted for and not try and cost you your job because of who you vote for. Um, but I think in terms of policy, uh, I think, you know, both sides have, have something to blame here. And uh, I think uh, that's, um, you know, I, I think that's I think that's articulated pretty well in this in this New York Times piece and this Wall Street Journal piece. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let me say hello to uh, Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. That's me. Okay. For, okay. Forget it. Okay. Um, look, there is. Too much hateful rhetoric, you know, disrespectful language, lies, why people can't be truthful and respectful. I don't have anything against anybody for who they are or what they believe. But why are people stereotyping everybody? All whites are not racist. All blacks are not criminals. Well, who's, and, who's know, saying they are? I, I, Come on, that's that's a general consensus. Like uh, I, I don't. Uh, we, I, I mean, look, I'm, I mean, I I'm don't just share that. Consensus. Putting it out there, all whites are not racist, and all blacks are not criminals. 
okay? And you know what? I've heard self-evaluations. Really? I'm a good guy and never will restaurant. Yeah, says you, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. You want an evaluation, ask your associates, not your best friends, but people who associate with you. Because nobody is perfect. You know what I'm saying? Where you condemn others, that is your fault right there. Okay? And that's all I have to say. Thank Thank you, Tom. Ken is in Nova Scotia. Hello, Ken. Hi, Frank. I mean, uh, this is a big day. This is March 24th. It's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. It came so, out March 24th, 1972. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. It all depends on how you count, right? Because oh, the, the, the okay. Godfather, uh, it did debut in, in some theaters 10 days ago. So we sort of celebrated it 10 days ago. And I was surprised that I, I didn't get more of a reaction. In fact, a whole bunch of people, I was just talking about a movie, and a whole bunch of people called in saying I was glorifying the mob, which I thought was absurd. But um, but since it is the 50th anniversary, uh, give me your take on what makes it such a great movie or such a special movie. I just think the uh, the whole mood and the, the, the great acting, uh, you know, De Niro uh, in, in the direction, uh, it's just, uh, and it lasts. Now, number three, it, I think it's terrible. But number one and two are fantastic, and uh, I'm just surprised at number two, how number three went down. But it's just great, and it just holds up. It just it's timeless, and uh, and tomorrow is a celebration in Toronto. I'm, I'm in Halifax here, but I, I, I and the way they they were uh, announcing it, advertising it today. Uh, sorry, is the anniversary uh, is 24. So I'm surprised at that. The other thing, Frank, is June 18th is the anniversary the the 80th birthday of Paul McCartney the most the successful songwriter in earth history 29 number one songs uh he wrote yesterday the most performed song i think it's 20 million copies according uh, performances according to uh, Guinness World Book of Records uh he has hey Jude, the number one song of the 60s and most people think the 60s were the renaissance of rock music and tons of other records i hope maybe uh, you know two months around june 18th you'll do something about uh, mccartney that, that's a good idea before. it's a good idea he uh, that that was our wedding song, Rachel and I, uh, a song from Paul McCartney and Wings. Ken, thank you for the call. I want to squeeze in some other people here before sure. we get okay, to Congressman you. Lee Zeldin. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Sam is on Long Island. Hello, Sam. Sam. Sam going once. Sam going twice. Hello? Sam, yes. Hey, Frank. Yes. What's up? How you doing? Well, I mean, I'd be, I'd be better if you answered the first three times I called your name. I'm sorry. No, I was just in the rain and it went off speaker. You know, That's when the okay. rain touches you. That's okay. So, well, you good. You sound great with your voice. Thank back, you. You know, thank nice, you. Nice and clear. You know. So I think I could do this like in really forty seconds. Not like it's a time game, but I actually wrote this down. So number one, I think is you know, demonization. Is like, what demonization or dehumanization? The latter. Okay. Because and, and that prompts or that encourages uh, these types of issues because when people, like I think it was you that said that example about, you know, if someone were to say something, you know, against Trump and a bunch of room full of Democrats, all this stuff, it just seems like even when I watch old videos and old movies that the whole communication 
you know, just is so different from the way it is now. We, 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 you know, communicate on such a, such a toddler level. So I think that's part of the issue, you know, that this, all this stuff stems from that, that, you know, I guess we're scared to, and, and just, we argue so fast and, you know, people don't really know how to sit down and have a, have a real conversation these days. That's number one. Number two is have a lot of comfort these days, right? So we're, we're there's no need for a brother and sister, for example, to really talk and enjoy because, you know, you could always do something else. Get in your car and you always really have something to do to keep yourself occupied. You don't need to go to the well and talk to your dad, you know, as you're hiking up the mountain sweating. And number three is, yeah, that it's ironic that in 2022 with all the technology that we have right now, I mean, right now you're sitting in a studio and I'm driving somewhere, you know, with all this technology you think that humans, the citizens, not the government, the citizens alone would be able to make this whole entity where we, where we can totally dominate communication. You know, I think the word is in spite or despite uh, the government, but it just doesn't seem to happen that way because we're all on these things like Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff. So just to end off my point with this, that, you know, when you say we don't have the free speech, it's because we subscribed and subjected, subordinated ourselves to be part of this mm. monster of, of, of communication, you know? Well, so, Sam, what do you think, and if you can't answer briefly, because I'd like to try and get at least one or two more people in yeah, here I'll be before Lee's yellow. What do you think, and I think you've correctly identified some of the contributing factors to the problem, what do you think the solution is? So, yeah, that needs a, a bigger conversation. There's much smarter than, I will be brief, there's much smarter people than me that, you know, that go to work every single day and try to figure these things out. The smart answer is, I don't know. I have some ideas, but uh, I think only like a grid shutdown, you know, and then if we have to start from bottom, bottom well, up again, I, can we? I, I'm not willing. I can't answer it off the bat. Okay, fair enough, Sam. Thank you. I'm not willing to go that far. I'm just going to read you one last part of this Times uh, editorial. And again, please just read this whole thing. It's really well written, and so is the journal op-ed, and I'm going to link to that as well in a minute. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. The full-throated defense of free speech was once a liberal ideal. Many of the legal victories that expanded the realm of permissible speech in the U.S. came in defense of liberal speakers against the power of the government, a ruling that students couldn't be forced to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, a ruling protecting the rights of students to demonstrate against the Vietnam War, a ruling allowing the burning of the American flag. And yet, many progressives appear to have lost faith in that principle. And uh, it, gives, it cites a number of examples of the the left, you know, totally abandoning a, a principle they say they believe in. This is the best editorial I've read in uh, quite some time. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Susan is in Brooklyn. Hello, Susan. Hi. Yeah, Frank. Um, m- maybe I didn't completely get what the comment you made about how in a room of uh, Republican meetings that no one can speak against uh, Donald Trump. Um, It's not, you know, taking him out as an individual that you can't, they cannot speak um, about the, uh, the, the results of, of, of his um, policies of the results of, what he accomplished, they cannot really articulate anything other than 
They don't like his style, his tweets, his blah, blah. And so so that that just kind of leads to a dead end because the people who do support him, such as myself, because of how his uh, policies and presidency accomplished so much, even while he was being completely pummeled by your New York Times. Well, it's not my New York Times. No, but you're, you're speaking about how now they're, you know, having this editorial, which seems like uh, I have to read it. Yeah, read it and let me know what you think, Susan. Thank you. Well, again, I don't want to make this more of a political thing because I think this is really about a problem within ourselves that people, and I know people on the radio that do this, that are afraid to say certain things because of how the audience will react um, or how ownership will react or how management will react. And the station never says, don't say this, don't say that. But I know folks that are uh, are afraid to say certain things. Oh, the audience won't like that. Oh, I agree with you, but the audience won't like that. Or, oh, oh, oh I, I, I think that's true, but I, I'm not going to say that publicly. Um, as far as the the what I said about Republicans criticizing Trump being true, I think it is. If you look at what's happening in South Carolina alone, um, you know, and again, I'm not a I'm not a Republican. So, you know, others are in a better position to judge this than me. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is one of the rising stars in the GOP. She ousted a Democrat to win her seat in South Carolina. She voted with Trump on um, you know, she would she was supportive of Trump on just about everything. And uh, his policies, just about everything. And then she criticized him for his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol or the the riot, whatever you want to call it. That's all she did. She didn't um, she didn't say he was a bad president. She didn't say she disagreed with his policies. She didn't vote against any of his policies. And yet now Donald Trump and a lot of, the you know, people that are known as Trumpians are trying to oust her from Congress. She did nothing against his policies. All she did was criticize him for one specific thing. And she may lose renomination. And you know what's going to happen? The person that, you know, this is a purple district. It's actually a left-leaning district. The purple, the person that does beat her in the primary, if he does beat her, uh, is going to be able to is not going to be able to hold the seat. And as Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, who is uh, a Republican from Virginia, she criticized Trump. He's doing it again because he doesn't care. He didn't care about losing that seat. He came to the conference and crowed about it because he didn't care about winning the general election. He just cares about revenge, and now he's doing it again. She talked about the the Mark Sanford seat where something similar happened. Now, uh, again, I voted for Trump twice. I was for him in 2000, 22 years ago. But I still think you should be free to criticize Donald Trump when you think he does something wrong without worrying about losing your your, uh, you you know, your job or your nomination or your political career or your radio show or your audience. I think, you know, we want a society on the radio, on television, on the workplace, in colleges, uh, in think tanks um, everywhere where people feel free to speak 
freely. And now the results of this Pew Paul show, that's simply not the case. And I'd love to hear some of your solutions. If you want to call, we're going to talk to Lee Zeldin next, but if you have solutions and you want to call back on this a little later, you're welcome to 800-848-9222. Solutions, solutions, solutions. What are they? Lee Zeldin joins me straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We are continuing our series profiling all of the candidates for governor. We're hoping that between now and June and between now and November, at least, we get all the candidates for governor on this show. Well, uh, the candidate that's uh, joining us today is not only a congressman representing Long Island. He's won repeatedly as a Republican in a purple district that used to be a blue district. But he was just selected overwhelmingly to be the party designee of the New York State Republican Party. Uh, he's also a veteran and somebody that's been uh, very outspoken on uh, a number of issues related to the things Governor Hochul's been doing wrong, a number of the things that Governor Cuomo's been doing wrong, and crime in New York in general. Very pleased to welcome Republican candidate for governor, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Congressman, thanks for coming on with me. It's great to be on with you and uh, hope as you're doing all these profiles, you get a an RSVP from uh, Kathy Hochul and Andrew Cuomo sometime soon. I, I got my fingers crossed. I'm going to be fair, uh, just as fair to them and uh, just as tough as on them as I am uh, as I am with you. I was starting to get a complex when you uh, when you weren't coming on with me. No, absolutely. Listen, here here we are. It's great to be on with absolutely. you. Thanks for what you do. It's uh, it's also great for everyone tuning in. Uh, in these late hours to uh, loyally be following the great Frank Morano on air. All right. Well, the, the big, well, thank you. But the big question, I guess, is on everybody's mind is uh, the U.S. Senate has passed a bill for permanent daylight saving time. Now it's coming to you guys in the House. The ball's in, in your court, as it were. What are you going to do on this one, Congressman? I actually don't uh, expect the bill to come up for a vote. Um, uh, you know, this is something that historically uh, just hasn't made its way through the entire process. You know, the Senate passed it. There's a lot of strong bipartisan support for making this permanent. But, you know, what happens uh, when one house ends up passing a bill like this, then you start getting the, the mobilized opposition, the the people who uh, you know, talk about the impacts to their life of, you know, kids having to travel to school when it's dark out or, you know, being able, you know, with, with regards to religious uh, groups and prayers early. So it gets interesting at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if the bill actually doesn't come up for a vote in the really? House because of what will probably happen again with mobilized opposition and, uh, We'll see. Uh, we that we will. All right. Um, you have made crime a big part of this campaign. Uh, we saw Governor Hochul also come out with her proposal for crime. A uh, I think it's a ten point plan to reform bail reform. It includes other things like uh, a greater use of Kendra's law. What did you think of uh, Governor Hochul's proposal? It's weak. Listen, it's uh, New Yorkers want to see cashless bail repealed. They want to see discretion for judges to weigh dangerousness on all offenses, not just 
some of the most serious felonies. It's coming up short here. Trying to be cute, she went through the budget process where her executive budget proposed no changes. She waited until just before the final version was uh, agreed upon to come out with this proposal. Andrew Stewart Cousins said uh, in the last few hours that uh, this was something that her conference wasn't looking to do at all. Uh, the New Yorkers don't want to wait for more data uh, to show the need to repeal cashless bail. They've seen enough. They've seen enough to be calling for DAs like Alvin Bragg to be fired, even though Kathy Hochul says that we should be cutting them some slack. New Yorkers want to back the blue. They want to support our law enforcement. Uh, so I believe that it's just it's uh, there are games that are being played, and what led her to do this was a really bad week last week. She got roasted out of Madison Square Garden, booed when she was dropping the first puck. A uh, new poll came out that actually had me beating her by a point and a half. And then she gets news that Andrew Cuomo is seeking to uh, possibly run against her on the Democratic side. And, of course, the polling. New Yorkers want to see more bold action. Uh, too little, too late. Uh, let's see what can possibly get done as part of the state budget. I'd love to see cashless bail repealed, but she's trying to tweak just a little bit around the edges. I would say a little too cute for half. Is crime the biggest issue in this campaign? Right now, no doubt. I mean, that's what New Yorkers are saying. You ask New Yorkers, what are the most important issues to you? They have a lot to talk about, primarily about their breaking point. They're deciding to flee New York because of the attacks on their wallets, their safety, their freedom, their kids' education. But what I'm seeing as I travel around the state, talking to everyone in red counties to blue counties, from Republicans to Democrats, many people in between, I'm hearing people talk about how they don't feel safe outside of their streets. They want to back the blue. They want to repeal cashless bail. They want to fire DAs like Alvin Bragg. And, uh, you know, it's not the only concern, but it's definitely the one that's coming up the most. We're talking with Congressman, Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin. He is the leading Republican candidate for governor. He actually the designee of the Republican Party, although there is a primary coming up in June uh, by the looks of it. How concerned are you about uh, that congressman, uh, that uh, primary congressman coming out of the primary? You sounded very confident, but we're seeing certainly Harry Wilson spending millions of dollars on TV. I, I spoke with Andrew Giuliani. He cited a number of polls which seemed to put him in a positive position. Are, do you take the primary for granted at this point? I take nothing for granted ever. Uh, this is a campaign since I got in a year ago on April 8th of 2021 that uh, no opportunity ever, no day, no moment can we take anything for granted. Uh, this isn't easy to uh, be able to win a governor's race in a blue state like New York. It's going to happen this November because we are taking nothing for granted. I'm all in. Our supporters are all in. This past January, when we filed our last fundraising report, on top of the $8.5 million raised, the report consisted of 34,000 donations that have come in since we came in, tens of thousands of donations since I entered the race Thousands of volunteer signups. Uh, the last poll out on the race, the New York Post reported a week ago, uh, has me in a lead by 31 points. Uh, we have uh, 45% net poll. The next one was up at uh, 14%. But listen, I 
uh, every single day. Uh, we'll continue to work hard to get our, our message out. I happen to be up in Albany right now. Um, I'll be all across uh, the entire state, different regions over the course of the next two, three days. This is the way that I've operated since I got into the race last April 8th. In the first six months of the campaign, I had campaigned at least twice in all 62 counties in the state, many counties, many more times than that, and I just kept on going. So we're working hard, great team, great chemistry. Issues are on our side. Polling is all breaking the right way. We've been on TV and radio since the beginning of February with our ads. We're feeling good, but we have to – Yep, not take anything for granted. As uh, as your question is uh, uh, importantly asking, you can't uh, as, and always campaign like you're behind, no matter what any poll says. In terms of the general election, let's assume you emerge from the primary as the Republican nominee. You're already the nominee of the Conservative Party. Whenever I've talked about you on the radio or even when I talk informally with friends or family, whether they're political or not so political, a lot of them say, well, I like Lee Zeld and I like a lot of what he has to say. I like his moxie. I like a lot of what he's in Washington. But, you know, he was such a strong Trump supporter. And in New York, uh, in a state that um, voted um, you know, where Trump got less than 40 percent of the vote. I think that is going to be enough um, to end his candidacy right there. What about that? How do you reach out to people in a state like New York who may despise Donald Trump, just would never think of voting for Donald Trump, hate everything that he stands for? How do you get them to consider you? Well, the reason why I have now taken the lead over Kathy Hochul is because as I travel around the state, I'm talking about the issues that matter most to New York voters. I asked them, what are the most important issues to you? Last week, when I did press conferences last Monday in Binghamton and Elmira and Rochester, and I finished in Buffalo, I was talking about how we can reduce gas prices by safely extracting our natural gas into a green light pipeline applications in Albany to spend the gas tax. We were just talking about issues related to uh, safety and security. Uh, my running mate, our next lieutenant governor, Allison Esposito, was commanding officer of the 70th Precinct in Brooklyn in the NYPD. She would have been a chief if she stayed in. She's giving up that career to serve as our next lieutenant governor. When I'm talking to parents, it includes Democratic parents who believe that parents should be encouraged to be as involved as possible in their kids' education, that the quality of education in our schools needs to be improved. And whether that's you know, school choice and lifting the cap on charter schools or it's uh, having advanced academics, uh, which are being proposed to get eliminated in the name of equity and so on. I mean, that list is long on education issues and the COVID mandates, which should be repealed. Every COVID mandate would be repealed on day one of my administration. I just really hope that come January of 23, we don't have any left. I believe everyone who's been fired should get their jobs back with back pay if they haven't gotten the COVID shot. People are being canned. Uh, We just had an announcement in the last few hours where the city of New York is going to elect Kyrie Irving and uh, Mets and Yankees players who haven't received the COVID shot to have an exemption to play. I feel like they should be able to play, but it shouldn't be some special exemption. They should just be allowing everybody to have their livelihoods, to go about uh, normalcy, to move forward. Uh, And that's about following the science and the data. 
uh, but the mandates have been overly restrictive. So what I will do is continue to travel the state and talk to voters about the issues that they say are most important to them. And it's all about their breaking point that has them thinking about fleeing. New York is leading the whole nation in population loss. Uh, This is a rescue mission to save our state. And we really have to win. We're going to win this race because we have to win this race. And you know, you talk about the exodus from New York. I hear it every day from our listeners. We still have a lot of people listening right now in Florida and Pennsylvania, North Carolina and Arizona that l- used to live in New York and didn't want to leave. But they left not only for crime reasons, be- because of affordability. If you get elected governor and you have a Democratic legislature, both houses, and it's still a supermajority, what can you do to improve affordability in this state? Well, I strongly believe that the supermajority is going to get broken. I actually believe that the supermajority in the state Senate is going to get broken just on Long Island and Nassau County. Uh, we saw it this past November 2nd. Uh, so much flipped from blue to red. I believe that that's going to continue this November. I believe it could be the biggest Republican wave of our lifetime, but this isn't about just riding a surfboard. The other thing is uh, you, you have to earn your mandate by campaigning on what you're going to do when you get in office. Now, we're already on this interview, we've talked about a number of issues on the economic front. We were just talking about uh, what we could do to create jobs uh, with with regards to pipeline and a safe extraction of uh, natural gas, which also allows us to reduce energy costs and become energy independent. I believe that taxes need to get cut across the board. There are regulations that uh, are in place that are not business friendly. You see a culture problem where politicians that are far left are uh, pushing uh, Amazon and what was going to be thousands upon thousands of good paying jobs that would have been coming to the New York City area and that was getting pushed away. There's a lot that can get done to improve the economy inside of our state to allow businesses to be able to stay here for businesses to actually come either back to New York or move here in the first place on in a number of fields, you know, in a bunch of different industries. Uh, the spending has to be brought under control from a, a multi-billion dollar excluded workers fund that was created last year for people who aren't even legally in the country to what we see of billions of extra dollars that get spent in Medicaid. There are so many different ways to make the government operate more efficiently which is just another way to be able to help justify further tax cuts, which, again, I believe should happen across the board because people of all walks of life are saying they can't afford to survive here. So they head to some other state. You referenced Florida. People are going to Florida and elsewhere because their money will go further. They'll feel safer. They'll live life freer. Um, And I, I believe that, you know, this is a moment in time where, when you think about what the consequences are, if you have four more years of more of the same and outsized power of self-described socialists, uh, we will continue to lead the entire country in population loss and only increase. Uh, but you know, to your question, we'll see what the what the total number of assembly Republicans and Senate Republicans and what the balance of power is like. We'll have leverage points with the executive budget. That process, the governor has power, home rule messages and using your soapbox with press conferences and rallies and districts of different members who might be saying one thing to their constituents and then doing something different up in Albany. 
there is leverage that exists uh, and you try to find common ground wherever possible to move a state forward, to move a country forward. That's our job. And ultimately, if somebody's up in Albany and they have the attitude that they're refusing to work with the governor on absolutely anything, well, then they need to get fired when they're up the next time in 2024. You've got to explain to our listeners the story that uh, some of them may have seen over the weekend where you actually voted uh, the same way as Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and the squad against this massive federal spending bill on March 9th, even though it contained $2.9 million in funding for the NYPD. Uh, I think most folks are not used to seeing you vote with AOC and most folks are not used to seeing you vote against the NYPD. What happened here? Explain the context of this vote. Well, I mean, to be clear, as far as the framing of the question and what what the vote was, it was a one and a half trillion dollar spending bill. It was the budget. Uh, This wasn't a vote on two point nine million dollars for the NYPD. This was a vote on one and a half trillion dollar bill. This was a twenty seven hundred page bill that didn't even exist until a few hours before the vote. Nobody read the bill. So anybody who's listening and you want your uh, representatives to read the bill before they pass it, this was a 2,700-page bill that didn't even exist until a few hours before the vote. Uh, the, the process is, is totally screwed up. It's dysfunctional. We're mortgaging our, our kids' future, passing these trillions of dollars of, of bills time and again, and they keep getting passed just you know, uh, hours after the bill gets introduced and no one's reading this stuff, it's not getting uh, vetted out. There are policy changes in the bill that uh, I disagree with and trying to hamstring ICE and uh, not allowing them to work with uh, state and local governments to be able to enforce immigration law. The list goes on. Uh, this isn't how you run a federal government. And, uh, you know, I have a voting card, just like all other 434 members of the House. And if some other member wants to give their voting card to Nancy Pelosi and, you know, if you could just craft whatever bill you want and introduce your next 2,700 plus page bill in a few hours before a vote and, you know, expect to have, you know, these other members vote for whatever crap you put out, um, you know, that's that's a decision that an individual member can make. You know, and inside these bills, uh, there, there will be good things. Uh, but this isn't how you do this this process, and especially if you're going to come up with a bill at the end of the day that's going to come up uh, this short. We now are over $30 trillion in debt. Mm. Uh, the, the amount of money that gets spent in, uh, you know, in interest on our debt and the deficits that get run, that gets run up. My daughters are 15 years old, and it's really uh, pretty sad what they're going to be inheriting on the backs of politicians who are there right now who make decisions – uh, that they're going to have to pay for generations that aren't even old enough to vote yet. Yeah, no, my son's four months old. I keep yelling at him to get a job to pay all the bills that he's going to uh, <laughs> exactly. have to pay. Um, I appreciate you being so generous with your time, especially this late at night. Uh, very quickly, I read your op-ed in the New York Post a day or two ago in which you talk about how to essentially make New York City not even great again, but livable again. And you talk about how New York City is a shell of its former self, whether you're talking economically, uh, culturally, or anything else. Do you think that kind of messaging, getting New York City back on its feet, might be able to make you more competitive in New York City in a general election than most Republicans statewide typically would be? 
Yeah, I mean, as I pointed out, too, in that op-ed, I mean, a number of the issues we've actually brought up in this interview, but you have uh, an Asian-American community dealing with the loss of life and people attacked because they're Asian. Uh, you have Jews attacked because they're wearing a yarmulke. You have, you know, a Sikh cab driver getting attacked because they might wear garb that uh, is different than the, uh, the, the average uh, New Yorker of what that particular suspect, what that criminal may be used to. Uh, people just don't feel safe on our streets, in our subways. Uh, there's more to be done to keep all of uh, our community safe, to be able to grow our economy and jobs, to improve the quality of education. The pandemic policies uh, have been behind the curve. The uh, from, from the get-go, the impacts on kids, uh, students stuck in poor-performing schools, it's impacting all different kinds of generations. Uh, people are deciding that they've had enough of the Big Apple and, and they're leaving as opposed to you know, having the uh, resolve and the desire to stay here and fight for the future of the city. Um, it, you know, businesses being looted, lethal injection sites popping up on the street, you know, banning all gas hookups on new construction. The list can go on of the different policies coming out of the city. Um, and, and this is just not the, the way to bring the Big Apple back to its glory. Congressman, There's a lot that can be done, but it has to get done. I really appreciate uh, you being so generous with your time, especially this late at night. If people want to learn more about your candidacy, they can go to zeldinfornewyork.com. That's Zeldin, F-O-R, newyork.com. I hope we can do this uh, very often between now and June and now in November. Uh, you got it. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of my conversation with Lee Zeldin, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Are there any issues that the candidates aren't addressing that you want to hear about in future interviews? Tell me. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. See, I'd like to play this bumper music when Lionel comes on, but I can't get him to come on with it. Uh, still working on that. Now, um, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you after the top of the hour. I'm uh, back feeling a lot better than yesterday. My throat still hurts. Uh, I made an appointment with uh, an ENT this afternoon, uh, so hopefully they can find out what the problem is. It's been bothering me for about a week, but I feel like my voice is a lot stronger. Yesterday, I couldn't speak at all. I was terrified I was not going to make it through the whole show. Uh, today, I don't think that that's a, a concern for me at all, but I've been uh, drinking the tea, taking the lozenges, using the chloroseptic, using a lot, taking the vitamin C, using a lot, gargling, using a lot of the remedies that people have been suggesting. 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Have your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, about maybe three or four weeks ago, 
I told you about a conversation I had with my friend Arthur, who was very close to former, uh, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. And Scalia, uh, Arthur told me, and Scalia told him, so this is, I think, triple hearsay, because I'm now telling you. Scalia told Arthur, and Arthur told me, uh, he, he encouraged Arthur to have a lot of children, because then... We need to have good people keep having children because then eventually we need the good people to outnumber the bad people or at least have the good people have a fighting chance. Now, after that show in the Facebook group, and we have a Facebook group uh, that's all about discussions that we have on this show. Uh, you can join it. It's facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, uh, or just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Now, um, a caller said in that, uh, not a caller, but a listener said in that Facebook group at the time, there's no guarantee that good people, the children of good people will end up being good people. And I didn't really think anything of it. I, I just kind of read it and I said, oh, okay, and then moved on with my life. Now, have you been following the story of Barbara Mayer Gustern? She was a famed 87-year-old vocal coach here in New York City, and she was shoved to the ground and ultimately died five days later. And it turns out the person who has turned herself in for that crime is Lauren Pazienza, who is a 26-year-old socialite. And my wife and I were saying um, at dinner last night, she was saying to me, what is her possible motivation for something like this? She said, look, usually when you hear about these random acts of violence, one, um, you know, one random person shoving another in an unprovoked attack and killing them, usually it's someone who is uh, schizophrenic and not on their medication or severely mentally ill or uh, or homeless uh, or drug addicted or there's some that's usually the stereotype. Right. I mean, that, it's not a stereotype. It's reality. And admit it, I mean, when you think of a random attack, isn't that who you think of? Not a 26-year-old socialite. Now, um, this is the grandson of this, by all accounts, a wonderful woman, 80, 87 years old, Barbara Mayer Gustern. This is the grandson after the suspect turned herself in. Why'd you do what you did? Do you understand what you did? Do you care? Now, um, it is interesting. Uh, now, it, it just so happens that the lawyer for this this suspect, Lauren Pazienza, is my friend Arthur Idala. Now, um, you got to I'll give the disclaimer here before I comment on this case. I have not spoken with Arthur about the case. Um, Arthur is one of my closest friends. He's not a friend. He's more like a brother. He did a reading at our wedding. He was a strong candidate for, you know, being in our bridal party, a strong candidate for uh, being godfather to our son. There are fewer people I'm closer to on earth than Arthur. I, I tell him the kind of secrets that you would only tell a brother. And we're, we're that close. That being said, 
I don't think there's anything that prevents me from commenting on this case. For starters, anybody else, Lauren Pazienza is entitled to the uh, presumption of innocence. And Arthur says that the evidence in this case is not very solid. They're absolute strangers. And whether it was a push or whether it was a shove or whether it was a kick or whether someone tripped, the evidence is not very solid on that at all. Now, all that audio, by the way, uh, courtesy of WABC-TV Channel 7, no affiliation with this radio station anymore. Uh, Arthur went on to say something that really piqued my interest and motivated me to talk about this. And I, you, I wasn't going to talk about this, but there's one aspect of this case that I find so interesting, and it's based in part on what Arthur said here. She was crying. She was in pain. You know, she's being accused of a horrible act, and she's a very moral, right, just person who went to high school, went to college, has a job, has a fiance, has family. So we'll see what the evidence actually shows here. But um, apparently there are a number of eyewitnesses that show this 26 year old fiery redhead that randomly shoving this 87 year old vocal coach. And uh, calling her the B word as she shoves her to the ground. Now, what's interesting about this is Lauren Pazienza is the scion of a cesspool dynasty. Um, Her father runs a third generation cesspool company, which is one of the top rated ones on Long Island in the whole state, actually. 26 years old. She grew up in an idyllic part of Long Island. This is the number one, it's been ranked, the number one cesspool company in Suffolk County for both service and price. Once she moved to New York City, uh, this was a former events coordinator for a high-end furniture company. She was seen gallivanting around town, attending swanky parties and art gallery openings. So she's never been arrested before. I mean, there were some complaints. They had to go back to, I think, the grade school to find somebody, her mistreating someone. And there were some complaints that she wasn't exactly a great neighbor. Uh, The neighbors said that she had been confrontational, but never violent. So um, the interesting thing about this case to me, so she's in Rikers now and uh, bail has been set for her uh, $500,000 cash or a $1 million bond on these manslaughter and assault charges for this uh, beloved former Broadway voice coach. Um, But what interest, so basically what she's alleged to have done is she crossed West 28th street around 8 30 PM. And she called this woman, the B word before shoving her to the pavement for no apparent reason. Uh, This woman suffered traumatic brain injury and died five days later. This woman, Lauren Pazienza, has had no previous run-ins with the law. We don't know why she attacked this woman, this elderly woman. Um, So, apparently her parents are supporting her. And look, Arthur doesn't come cheap. I'm sure her parents had to pay him a pretty penny. And her brother, 24 years old, supporting her. And they're trying to get this bail package together. Now... We don't know what happened here. We don't know what the evidence will show. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, she's actually innocent. But let's say for the sake of argument, for the sake of discussion, she's not innocent. Let's say she committed this crime. This is somebody that went to all the best parties, probably went to all the best schools, 
did not grow up deprived, seems to have a loving family, didn't come from a broken home. So here's the question of which there is no answer, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. At 800-848-WABC, what makes a person do something this evil? How does the child of a decent family who has money, seems to be a very loving, stable family unit, Again, I guess nothing is what meets the eye. But how does someone that comes out of a wholesome family, never wanting for anything, do something so evil? What happens in that person's upbringing to make them do something so crazy? 800-848-WABC. If you don't want to make it this particular case, you can just speak in in general. I can understand. I'm not saying it's right, but I could understand if you grow up in a broken home, being raised by, um, you know, an abusive mother uh, who was on drugs and then you you're schizophrenic and you're on drugs and, you know, that you have every problem in the world and you're destitute and you're homeless and you can't you don't know right from wrong. I can understand uh, how that happens, why you would shove someone onto the subway tracks. It's not right. I'm not excusing it at all. But that kind of a story, that kind of a situation makes sense to me. A story like this makes no sense to me. How does this person come to be? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. There are a lot of aspects of crime that I can understand. Uh, look, people can be greedy. I could understand somebody committing a robbery. I could understand uh, somebody uh, embezzling company funds. Not right, not excusing it, but I can understand it. I can understand you get drunk at a bar with somebody. You get into an argument over a girl. You step outside with that person. You beat him up. You beat him up pretty bad. That person dies. I can understand that. I can understand uh, a number of crimes. I cannot understand how a healthy Seemingly healthy, wealthy, young woman, engaged to be married, beautiful, has everything in the world to live for. I cannot understand how that kind of a person can commit a random act of violence that's so brutal to someone so innocent. I, uh, you know, I I spend a lot of time with my four-month-old son now, and uh, I look at him and He is just so incredibly innocent. I can't imagine him doing anything bad. Now, I'm sure one day he will. But when he when he cries, right, it just makes me it makes me so unhappy. It makes me feel so powerless to help him because he looks just so innocent and he's incapable. He's barely capable of holding his head up, although he is getting pretty good at that. He's incapable of turning around, turning over on his own. I can't imagine him one day being capable of doing something so evil, like a random act of violence. Now, I imagine Lauren, I know Lauren Pazienza probably had the same little pouting look when he she was upset as a four month old and she looked uh, so innocent that she couldn't do anything that my son has. So how does an innocent baby? go from not being able to commit any 
wrongdoing to being able to commit a crime like this? How does it happen? Are you born this way? Is that something you learn? And what is it that you learn? I can't imagine it's something that her parents taught her. Is it something that she learns in school? Is it something that you learn by watching television? Is it something that you learn by uh, being desensitized to violence in the mass media? I don't know. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Ethereum in Muncie. Hello, Ethereum. Hi. Um, I, I have a general uh, thing to say about, about crime. Um, they say that the lie on the right is that crime is related to race. And the law, and the lie on the left is that crime is related to poverty. And uh, I'm, I'm just pointing out that this woman was rich and she was a criminal. Um, there are plenty of places where people are very poor and they don't have crime like this. I don't think, I don't think there's a correlation. You don't think uh, somebody that's poor is more likely to commit a violent crime than someone that's rich? I don't think he's more likely to commit a violent crime because he's poor. Right. Okay. All right. I don't think the poverty causes him to be violent. Um, fair enough. It's something else. Okay. Anything else you want to add, Ethereum? No, that's it. Thank okay. You. Fair enough. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Sandy is in Eastchester. Sandy, what do you think? Yes, I don't know. Of course, I don't know the details behind this, but something in my brain is telling me that this girl did not get something she wanted from this older woman that she pushed, and she's just like a little brat that she didn't get her way. Now, of course, I don't know, but that's the first thing that came in my mind when I heard the story. So do you think maybe maybe what happened from her being an innocent babe to being a possibly manslaughtering or woman slaughtering 26-year-old is that she grew up maybe with a spoiled mentality and she didn't get something that she wanted from this person? That's what I'm, like I said, I wouldn't, I don't know, but that's what I'm picking up from this story. Of course, I don't know if I'm right, but that's the only thing I'm picking up from this story. Interesting. All right. Well, it's uh, as good a theory as any, Sandy. We, Like you said, none of us know that's curious how somebody becomes so, I don't want to say become so evil, how they do such an evil thing seemingly at random. How does that happen? 800-848-9222. Ted in Union has an interesting theory. Hello, Ted. Hey, how you doing? Long time. I haven't spoken in a while. Enjoy your show. Um, I'm not, listen, I definitely am appalled by what happened and, you know, it's heart, heart wrenching. But what kind of medicine was this woman on? Like they never discussed any of that. You think she was medicated? Well, I, I'm going to say, it, I think, something i mean she's getting married she's engaged and seemed like she had a good thing going and where does that act come out of like you know you know the, the, the and i'm not blaming doctors but these all everybody's freaking medicated half the time and when they're off their meds they're bipolar or do something out of control something that you know is irresponsible well see that is very interesting to me because that's been one of the common threads in these random acts of violence that we've seen, uh, these uh, subway attacks, not so much the anti-Asian crimes or the anti-Jewish crimes, but um, the random person being shoved onto the subway tracks or something like that. The common thread seems to be somebody that's mentally ill that's off their meds. And you think that might would be what was the case here? 
I think that down the road we're going to find out something to the effect of a bipolar or something, and you're not taking your meds because you think you're okay. That's just, you know, an assumption. But, I mean, you, I just, you know, who does that? Like you said, who does something right. like that? So, right. And, you know, it seems she, like, never got in trouble, you know. I mean, he ruined her whole life, and she was getting married and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just, that's what I feel. That's just my opinion. Very interesting, uh, Ted. Well, look, uh, as you said, none of us know what the story is. Your theory is as good as anybody else's. 800-848-WABC. Uh, we're to talk with Ben Mankiewicz from uh, Turner Classic Movies coming up in a few minutes. I'm a big fan of... Um, of Turner Classic Movies. I love TCM, and uh, they have so many great pictures on there, and uh, Ben Mankiewicz is terrific, and uh, he's great as the host introducing the movie. Also happens to be the grandson of the man that wrote Citizen Kane. They did a great movie about his grandfather, Mank, last year, in which uh, Gary Oldman plays the grandfather. That movie itself was nominated for an Academy Award. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Let me say hello to uh, Gabriel in Muncie. Hello, Gabriel. Hey, how's it going? Well, um, I guess that remains to be seen. Nice. That's awesome. Um, I was thinking, like, if you were saying, is it like nurture nature um, about walks about violence? So, like, I know, like, sociopaths, psychopaths um, do exist. But I feel like usually they do things that make more sense. Um, like the like the speaker, uh, the caller before was saying about how it doesn't really make any sense what, what she did. Like, there was no calculation here. Like, it wasn't like uh, getting any money or, or even having a relationship with someone that he wanted, they wanted to end the relationship with. So I don't know. It's Yeah, it's a weird case. Yeah, that it is. That it is. So your best guess is what? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, I don't even know. Maybe Maybe what he was saying with meds or something. Something just seems off, off yeah, with it right now. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it does indeed, which is why I haven't been able to stop thinking about this case all day today and all day yesterday. 800-848-9222. Eddie in New Jersey, what do you think? Hi. Um, first of all, I, it sounds like this woman, the, the, the young one, knew the older woman. Otherwise, there would be no reason for to go over to a random person and, and just push her. And presumably, I would assume that she didn't mean to kill her because when you push someone, even someone as old as that, you expect them to fall down to the ground and hurt themselves, but not die usually. So I would assume she was angry at her for some reason and put her, which is totally the wrong thing to do. It's a crime. But I don't think that her intent was to kill her. Well, you might be right. Now, I, I imagine, obviously, if she sat there and made a decision, do I want to go out and commit murder today? Obviously, she'd come up with the answer, no. Uh, but even still, what could have provoked her to find this 87-year-old in what everybody is saying? And again, we don't know the facts of the case yet. We'll see what happens if it ever goes to trial. My guess is it won't. My guess is, uh, you know, Arthur will probably negotiate a plea for her or something. But what happens uh, to cause someone to think it's okay to push an old woman at random? I just don't get it. I just don't understand how that person comes to be. It's so, so far in a concept to me. Yeah, but I mean, no one's saying that this lady is a good lady. The question really is, why would she go over and, and kill someone? Well, she might be a bad person, meaning just because someone was raised in a, in a wealthy family with a loving family doesn't mean she could be a spoiled brat. She could be, have a bad personality and she could be, cruel 
even not to the point of killing, but she she could be a bad person to the point that if she's angry at someone, she'll go and push them. Mm. And if that person's 87 years old, they would fall and they might not have the balance to catch themselves and they'll hit their head and die, unfortunately. Mm. Eddie, thank you. 800-848-WABC. Let's uh, try and squeeze in at least one or two more calls before we get to Ben Mankiewicz. Uh, Anthony's in Rockland County. Hello, Anthony. Hey, Frank, how you doing? So listen, I remember some 15, maybe more years ago, uh, a lady named Lizzie Grubman. Her yeah. father was a very powerful entertainment lawyer. Same thing happened. Alan Grubman, she yeah. Was, Alan Grubman, excuse me. She was the no, 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 no. You're right. Lizzie Grubman was the was the woman, daughter, and uh, the, father. The, the father was Alan Grubman, right? She had a reasonable reason, if you can call it that. She was denied access to some club in Long Island, and she, you know, pulled the "I do you know who I am," blah blah blah, and she ran the people over. So I'm thinking something else must have happened to this girl, Lizzie. Uh, to do this, or she just snapped momentarily because you just don't do these things. But you do; they do uh, get used to not being said no to. You know, everything I can have this. I, you know, I need to know who I am. But either she just snapped, or something else actually must have happened. I'm thinking so. You know, anyway, I, I remember the Lizzie Grubman case. It's about 20 years ago, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. there was criticism of the police um, that she received yep. special treatment because they didn't perform a breathalyzer test. Um, in spite of the fact that, you know, she was probably intoxicated at the time. So what what she did is horrible. Um, but look, I, I've done some crazy things when I'm drunk. I've never killed anyone or, or run over anyone with an SUV. But what, when you in, in, insert alcohol into the equation, all of a sudden that story yeah. become makes a lot more sense to me. Do you think this woman, this, this Lauren Pazienza might have been drunk? I, possibly something had to happen unless, like I said, she just snapped because you don't do that and just walk up to somebody right. unless you're, you know, like the homeless people do. Right. And I'm thinking something else must have happened that we don't know about. So maybe they have something on video or a security camera from a building. We'll see what happens. But it's pretty much it comes down to, you know, you, you know who I am. You Interesting. Tell me no. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Diane in Brooklyn. Hello. Hey. You know, it could have been that she is on some kind of like tranquilizer or mood elevator because mm. a lot of these medications have black boxes that talk about suicidal and homicidal ideologies uh, or tendencies that they will make you like this. I mean, people have like lawyers have jumped off of buildings after taking stuff like this. There's a, a, a psychiatrist. I can't think of his name right now, but he wrote a whole book about this. Interesting. If you think of that uh, psychiatrist, if you remember it, email me. I'd be curious to have him on the show to talk about it because it's an issue I've been following for a long time. Diane, thank you. Uh, Ben Mankiewicz from Turner Classic Movies joins me straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, Sunday is the granddaddy of all movie events. That's right. Uh, The father of all award shows, the Academy Awards, the Oscars. And if you're like me, uh, you are spending this week cramming and trying to see all the Oscar-nominated films that you can possibly get in so that you actually know what the winners are by the time the ceremony comes around. But if you're like me... 
as you see film after film this year, you're left with the sense of, gee, films just aren't as good as they used to be. And if you really want to find an oasis in a desert of cinema mediocrity, so often you end up turning to networks like Turner Classic Movies. TCM is great because not only do they show the kind of movies that you love, but they show you the kind of movies uh, featuring stars that you love, but that you might not have even heard, heard of before. At least that's the case with me. But I really love it because before the film starts, there's, there's an energetic, very handsome young man who looks wise, who gives you a little tidbit of trivia about the film or its stars or the era in which it was made. And then when I have friends over to watch movies, I can then repeat that little tidbit of trivia as if I knew it. Uh, he happens to be an incredibly talented broadcaster, TV personality, not only a TCM host, but a, a podcaster, a film critic, political commentator. His resume is longer than the credits in the film Titanic. Gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome TCM host Ben Mankiewicz. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the radio with me. Oh, thank you for that uh, uh, kind. Uh, I like all that. I like uh, I liked all of it. I like the handsome part. I like the uh, oasis part about TCM. Um, I agree with you on most things. I, I don't I don't really uh, subscribe to the that movies are aren't as good. I mean, in many ways, I think that some of them are bad. I mean, the acting has never never been better ever. Uh, and the writing's never been better. Well, so, that, I just think that I just think that there's a lot of 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 uh, if you'll forgive me, crap, and th- and that junk uh, gets a lot of marketing, right? And that's what that's what's different. So the stuff that we're bombarded with is not as good and is not appealing is not as appealing to you know grownups. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think there's a lot of of really good movies being made. I well, do think that. Really I'm glad you said that because that was one of the first things that I was going to ask you. So you don't think, on the whole, that the uh, the 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 average film that is released in 2021 is any is necessarily better or worse than a film released in 1971 or 1941. Well, I'm super partial to 19. I'm actually very partial to both the years that you mentioned. Well, 1941. I'm, I'm going to ask you about 71 in the middle of this great era, and 41, the year Citizen Kane. But the um, it's not, you know, the the problem is, first of all, I don't know what I'm talking about, about modern. It's not like I'm patched in. I'm, I'm like the least patched in to modern Hollywood guy there is. But I, I know from, from talking to people out here a lot that a complaint you'll hear is that, you know, you, you said the average film, and I'm, I'm not just trying to be play devil's advocate. I would offer that, that like, there isn't an average film mm-hmm. because movies in general, and this is hyperbolic what I'm about to say, but I, 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 it's also not entirely untrue. Movies cost either 200 million or 2 million, right? And there's very little in between. Certainly not the kind of, you know, grown-up movies that we saw, like in from 1967 to 1976 here in America, where it was like the greatest 10-year run of American movies ever. So it's tricky to find out what you're talking about. I mean, you know, CODA Licorice Pizza, uh, you know, King Richard, you know, Belfast. These are good movies. They weren't that expensive to make. They weren't cheap. They weren't $2 million movies. I'm disproving my point. But 
but there, there aren't a lot of movies in between. Certainly not nearly as many as there were during the studio era, you know, uh, from, you know, the beginning of, you know, from the 1920s until the end of the 1950s. I, I really enjoyed Coda. I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet. It's on my list for hopefully this week. Uh, do you, uh, keeping in mind the, the disclaimer you just gave us that you're not necessarily plugged into, tw- you know, 21st century cinema, uh, do you think that, uh, do you have a prediction on who's going to be the big winner on this Sunday at the Oscars? Yeah, I mean, I, I, first the two movies that are overwhelming favorites for so I'm a gambler. <laughs> so, uh, Same. you know, you want to know who's going to win? So I, I, one year, I think it was 2008, maybe 2009, I can't remember. I was on the red carpet for ABC before the Oscars, and they, they brought me in to talk about gambling, talk about the odds. And and Colin Firth for the King's Speech, you, yeah, I'm not making this up. You had to pay like $10,000 to win 100 on him. That's how big a favorite he was. So I said, basically, he's going to win. Like, it's over. They don't get that wrong, right? He's won every other one. It's an over. Um, and, and then they kept telling me to scale that back because the Oscars obviously didn't really want to hear someone before the show tell you who was going to win. Um, but so I believe in the odds, and I don't think any of the long shots will win. And I think it's between Power of the Dog and Coda. Power of the Dog is the favorite. It's the kind of movie that most Oscar voters like. But I, I defy anyone to see. Co- I love Power of the Dog, by the way. It's a slow-moving movie. It, it, you got to spend some time thinking about it. And I wonder whether it's different for people at home than it is. I saw it in the theater at, at the Telluride Film Festival. But um, I defy anyone to see Coda and, and not find that that movie was really special. So uh, I think Coda will win. That's just a guess, but but it's going to be Coda or, or Power of the Dog. I think you could take that to the bank. Do you have a take on the best film this year that wasn't nominated? Anything that you found really, really compelling that you were surprised didn't get a nomination? Yeah, it's, I don't think you got any nominations. There was a movie I saw at, at Telluride. I don't, I'm going to a lot. I used to see almost every first-run movie when I was regularly um, reviewing movies, a job I did not like. I mean, I liked doing it because I liked the people I worked with, but I was I was bad at it. And I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like the giving a scathing negative review, right? I didn't like that people created this art. I'm glad there are critics. I just wasn't very good at it. Um, and uh, so, but uh, there's a, a movie with uh, 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 Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman uh, called uh, Come On, Come On, Mike Mills film. And uh, who did that wonderful movie, uh, uh, Beginners, with Ewan McGregor. Um, and Christopher Plummer years ago, where Plummer won the Oscar for, for Best Supporting Actor. And uh, I, I think it's just outstanding. It's really good. And Joaquin Phoenix is great. Gabby Hoffman's great. Uh, and I was, the reaction to it was so positive in Telluride. And, uh, and it, didn't, it has really sort of done nothing. And, but it's a really, really, really good film. I think a lot of people in our audience know you from the beginning of the film at on Turner Classic Movies, as I alluded to. How many times a day, a week, a month do people come up to you and ask you if the facts that you share at the beginning of the film are facts that you really knew or if they were scripted? Well, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, they're definitely scripted. I mean, I'm reading a script. You know, I'm not. Uh, I don't talk for uh, two minutes uh, without a teleprompter. Um, but I mean, I, I the, you know, I, I'll give you insight into the process. It's been the same for Robert Osborne and me, and now now all the hosts at TCM. We have five, and uh, yeah, like the scripts get written, and then if you care about what you say, and we all do, that's what I'm doing right now. In fact, I took a pause. For, I've done over the last. Four and a half hours today. I finished five scripts. Like they take a long time. 
uh, and you go through them, you change them, you make sure they're in your voice. Sometimes you completely rewrite them. That's really not uncommon, and that's not really a criticism of whoever took the first pass at it, but more like what interested me. I mean, I have a very easy standard is that if I think it's interesting, other people probably think it's interesting because I'm not exceptional. Um, so, you know, everything we do, every single lead-in we do with TCM is new, right? We don't rerun any of them. Or if we do, we make a big point that we're, there'll be a new intro saying, hey, this is a lead-in from five years ago. And, you know, maybe it's an old Robert Osborne intro. You know, we'll do something like that. But that's like four or five times a year we might do that. Mm -hmm. um, so... The yeah, I mean, I I know it. I didn't. I don't know it all. Cold going in, um, you know. I, I people come up to me all the time, and what they really ask me is not so much that question, although I get asked that. It's people, you know, because movie fans, you know, are passionate. You probably sure. have movies that you know a lot about, right? And they'll have some question about the movie that is that they love, and they it's a very specific detail, you know, like you know George C. Scott. Um, in the Hindenburg, you know, there's a moment when I was a script I was working on, you know, where, where, he, where he looks away, he looks out the window, do you, and I'm like, I, I don't know, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I know you love this movie, and you love that moment, but I can't, you know, recall it off the top of my head, because over the last 19 years, you know, I've seen thousands of movies. Um, and sometimes, before a little, before I have to do a little refresher course, sometimes, as you might imagine, some of them run together. You alluded to Citizen Kane. Uh, that's one of my favorite films, if not my favorite film. We spoke about it at length last year on the radio for the uh, 80th anniversary. You have a very special familial uh, connection to that film. Uh, your grandfather, who a lot of people sort of rediscovered uh, with the film Mank, was the screenwriter of that film. Uh, I'm wondering, what did you think of that film on its own merits? How much of a game changer was that film? in the history of cinema and uh, how proud are you to share a last name and biology with someone that was such an integral part of it? Oh, well, I'll work back. I mean, whatever your scale is, I'm at the top of it as, as far as being proud to be a Mankiewicz. And, you know, so obviously it opened doors for me. And I mean, look, my last name's not, I use this story at this, this point a lot. I mean, when they, when they hired me, it's not like my last name was, you know, I, I'm not Ben Spielberg, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no... My, my grandfather, when I was hired at TCM, had been, had been dead for uh, 50 years. He was hired in 2003, and he died in 1953. And my Uncle Joe uh, was dead and hadn't made a movie in 30 years at that point. So, But, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to be at TCM and, and, and be a Mankiewicz, no question. Um, and I, I'm so fortunate to get the job because the channel means so much to people. So I'm enormously proud. Um, I don't know that I could judge the film on the merits because I loved it so much because it was about my grandfather and it was called Mank and they say the word Mank like, I don't know, 88 times in the movie. Well, well, you know, well every, I, I, every couple of minutes, somebody I, says Mank. I do want to get you to, uh, you know, get your take on Mank, but just uh, Citizen Kane for a second. Oh, I, excuse me. I'm sorry. So Citizen Kane. No, yeah, it's, so, it's an awkwardly so, uh, well, worded all, question. I'll, right? I'll just wrap up Mank by saying it, that, that was exactly how my father described his grandfather. He described his father, my grandfather, who I never met. So I love Gary Oldman's performance, and I was, you know, really kind of wiping away tears from the opening credits until the end of the movie. Um, and I thought it was a lovely movie about an artist, a struggling artist, sort of, you know, uh, trying not to hate himself. Were you disappointed um, that it didn't win uh, the Oscar? 
No, no. It was not. First of all, it won more Oscars than Citizen Kane, which will always be funny. <laughs> you know, um, it won two. Citizen Kane won one. Just for. Uh, I still think Citizen Kane, you know, holds up. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. It, I'm very comfortable saying it's the best movie ever made, or certainly the most important American film uh, ever made. I know they're, they're you know, Hitch, uh, the, the rear, uh, not uh, not rear one, Vertigo has has replaced it on, a, a, you know, one influential list there at Sight and Sound magazine. I love Hitchcock, but I mean, Vertigo is like my 12th favorite Hitchcock movie. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, Citizen Kane, it was a game changing movie. And, and the fact that I'm enormously proud that my grandfather wrote that screenplay and but make no mistake about whose movie that was. It was it's Orson Welles' movie. I mean, starred in it, directed it, changed the way movies are directed. And his sheer force of will got it made. You know, I mean, my, my grandfather couldn't have gotten that film made. He could barely get his phone calls returned uh, by, in 1940. The, 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 the tension that may have existed between Orson Welles and your grandfather, mm-hmm. that's depicted in Mank. And it's been alluded to in other movies about the making of Citizen Kane, uh, RKO 281, um, maybe a couple of others. Was that, was that real? Did they have not the best collaborative relationship? Yeah, my, you know, they, they had a pretty good collaborative relationship until they didn't. You know, um, and and mostly the reason they didn't was because Wells, you know, I mean, first of all, he paid my grandfather not to have his credit on the movie. And then my grandfather changed his mind. It's a detail that certainly is worth mentioning, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that, you know, he, he wrote the movie. Wells wanted to have his name. Wells, you know, his, his ego is legendary. Um, and Herman, uh, you know, was not proud to be a screenwriter. I mean, that's something I thought that, you know, the movie Mank, the Netflix film, David Fincher's film, you know, really got right that that this was a guy who who just sort of hated himself for writing these, you know, this popcorn entertainment for the masses. And you want to go back in time and say to Herman, hey, man, no, no this this mattered. This is valuable what you were doing, really valuable. Um, so, but he recognized with Citizen Kane that this was, this mattered. This was good. This was special. Uh, and he wanted his name on it. And, you know, the right thing to do would be to say yes, because <laughs> he's the one who wrote it. So, um, or wrote most of it anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that Wells had some contributions to the screenplay. And again, no question whose movie it is. It's Orson Wells. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So then, the, then from that point on, there was, uh, uh there was definitely, uh, there was definitely tension. You um you alluded to your legendary film family, not only your grandfather, but uh, your great uncle Joseph, uh, one of the great uh, writers and directors of that era of Hollywood. That actually played something of a role in your audition for TCM, didn't it? Yeah, it was just a, you know I, I like uh, I like making a bold declarative statements that I sort of presume that everybody around me knows are ridiculous. Um, uh, they don't always uh, know that. Uh, so when when, um, when I auditioned for TCM, when I had my TCM audition, uh, I, I was uh, I went home and uh, it was my second audition. I've been for my call back, and I uh, said to my uh, girlfriend at the time, "Well, let's turn on TCM, and if there's a, a movie, a Mankiewicz movie on that we had anything to do with, the Mankiewicz had anything to do with, I'll get the job. I'm not saying I won't get it if it's not a Mankiewicz movie because I'm dooming myself. The odds are like, you know, one tenth of one percent." Uh, but if it is, I'll just definitely get it. And we turned it on, uh, and it was the uh, the barefoot uh, the barefoot Contessa, written and directed by Joe Mankiewicz. I, I, we turned it on, and I'm looking. And I'm like, that's Humphrey Bogart and David Gardner. I, I think this is the barefoot Contessa. <laughs> and uh, and then you know, sure enough, whatever they took their time, but uh, sure enough, you know, about five six weeks later, they uh, they offered me the job. That was you know, I can't believe it. It became it was a job then, and now it's a 
career. It was 19 years ago. Now, your wardrobe has ch- improved a little bit, it seems, over the last 19 <laughs> yeah. years. You think? Has it really? <laughs> yeah, no, man. I look back at some of that stuff that you can find on YouTube. And, and the guy who hired me, the GM who hired me, is a guy named Tom Karsh. And I'm enormously grateful to, to Tom. Uh, yeah, I mean, a committee hired me, but Tom was leading it. And it was really Tom could have vetoed it. Tom wanted me. But Tom also liked, like, you know, he wanted me to be cool, <laughs> which I got news for you. It can't happen. <laughs> um, and I had a goatee, and he made, they made me keep it. They, it was written into my first contract that I have a goatee. And I always like wore a T-shirt and then a shirt on top of the T-shirt and then a jacket. I was very layered, and the clothes didn't fit. Everything was big. Um, so I cringed a little bit. Now they got me, you know, we, they, you know, I, I look, I look more like my brother who's a state line correspondent. It's always been incredibly well-dressed. You, you also, um, have been, uh, something of a, you know, a political commentator and I don't want to get into politics in this conversation, but I'm wondering, you, you know, you've taken pretty, you know, uh, polarizing stances and gotten to some polarizing debates on, uh, the young Turk network and, and, uh, and elsewhere. Do, do, do you ever get any pushback from your fans that may like you on TCM, but may really disagree with some of the things they see you saying on the Young Turk Network and, else, and elsewhere? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a founding member of the uh, Young Turks, and uh, um, uh, uh, with my my Jenk Hughes, one of my closest friends in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, sure, uh, but you know, not not nearly as much as as. I guess as you might think, or that I might, I might mm. think. I mean, uh, well, that's good. Um, I'm you know, glad cer- to, I'm certainly glad there's to plenty. That. You know, we all get it. Like, hey, shut up and stick to movies. Whenever I say anything on Twitter that's political, but I, that's not going to happen. I don't, nor should it. You know, this is a. Uh, as we, I think, all agree on, this is America, and, and I grew up around politics. My dad was Bobby Kennedy's press secretary. He ran George McGovern's campaign. He, he ran for Congress, nearly won himself, and has worked on uh, campaigns really for most of his life. That was his job. Uh, so, you know, caring, I grew up in DC, caring about politics passionately. And I still do, um, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, politics and sports and movies. That's the things I care about most other than my family. So there's some pushback, but mostly it's this idea of, Hey, look, man, there are actually things that, uh, that even people who disagree vehemently about, uh, about politics can come together on. And I also don't think you could be a TCM host and and not talk about politics. Politics and the movies have been intertwined forever, and, and the politics of the world and the politics of Hollywood and the politics of Washington frequently worked themselves into the backstory of movies that were made. And I think it's really important to tell those stories, you know, when, when it's relevant. And certainly you don't want to force it in. And, and mostly we want TCM to be what what it is for you, what it is for me, which is a little bit of an oasis, right, mm-hmm. an escape. Absolutely. Um, from politics. But, uh, when, but when we have a movie and the writer was blacklisted, it, it would be negligent not to talk about the blacklist. You know, uh, so we do. We lost uh, William Hurt recently. Do you have a favorite William Hurt movie or a movie that William Hurt did that may, people may not know about that you should tell them to check out? Oh, I'd have to think about one that I don't know that they don't know about. I certainly, saw, well, by the way, I'll mention this. Uh, there's a show that's on Amazon Prime now called Goliath that I love, and the first season William Hurt is the is the villain. I think it's the first season, um, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's terrific. He's I mean he's a dynamic actor, a really good actor. Children of Blesser God is wonderful, but you know I'm a I started in, I was a reporter. I went to journalism school. I wanted to be a reporter. I thought that's what I'd be. My brother had been a reporter. Uh, I've, and, uh, you know, and broadcast news is great. <laughs> great. And 
I mean, I've seen it uh, as many times as I, you know, I've seen it eight, nine, ten times. And uh, uh, I love it. Love Albert Brooks. Fell in love with Holly Hunter. And, and but William Hurt is just, it's just brilliant in the movie. And the thing that, that, that causes Holly Hunter to be dismayed with him and break it off with him, you know, that he used a reversal shot and was emotional in the reversal shot. He was legitimately crying during, it's not even, no one would even bat an eyelash at that now. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, uh, so, uh, but broadcast news is a real, real high quality film. Well, it's, uh, so, uh, your prediction for this weekend, uh, for the Oscars, best picture is, uh, you said go with the Oscars. Uh, best picture, I'll go, I'll go with Coda. I'd love to see Coda win. And I thought Troy Kutzer, who played the father in Coda, when I saw it, I saw it before there was any hype about it because I did a piece on Marley Matlin for CBS Sunday morning. And, uh, and as I was watching the movie with, with my wife, I just kept saying, this is as good a performance as you're going to see this year from the dad. I had no belief at all that it would ever get nominated. And yeah. so I was just thrilled to see that he's been winning uh, Best Supporting Actor. So yeah. I think he'll win, too. Finger, fingers uh, crossed. it's a great uh, film if you haven't seen it. I, compl- I, I loved it. Uh, fingers crossed on that one. Ben Mankiewicz, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I'll look forward to doing this again soon. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Frank. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 WABC, see Ben regularly on Turner Classic Movies. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Hollywood Nights, if you want to talk about Hollywood or this Sunday's Academy Awards, uh, my wife and I are still way behind in the, uh, you know, in watching these movies. Uh, I, In fact, I can't remember another year that I've been this far behind. Uh, but 800-848-WABC, that's 1-800-848-WABC. So... I have an obsession, as I think a lot of you know, with modern nostalgia. I have an obsession with older things. Uh, I still have, I have not one, but two typewriters. I have, I think, 12 radios in my house. 12 radios. Even though a lot of the radio listening that I do is on my smart speaker or on my mobile phone or on my computer, I still have 12 radios. I have a VCR. I have all sorts of old VHS tapes and DVDs. Now, I went to Rayo's uh, a few months ago for the first time, maybe about six months ago. I had a great time. And it, what's so great about it isn't even the food. It's the, it's the vibe in that place. It's such an old school 
joint. And at the end of the meal, I mean, it's almost stepping into that restaurant. Like, then there are a few other restaurants like this, and they're all my favorites. Michael's of Brooklyn and Brooklyn, Forlini's in Manhattan. There's a few others. But stepping into Rayo's, it's like stepping into a time warp. It's like stepping into 1968, right? So at the end of the meal, if you order espresso, they bring you a magnet or a Neapolitan uh, flip coffee pot, I guess is the proper term. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it's it's really it's really old school. In fact, I th- I've seen them before, but I hadn't seen one in years. It's a drip brew coffee maker for the stovetop that was very popular in Italy until last century. It's not even really used in Italy anymore. And it doesn't use the pressure of steam to force the water through the coffee instead on gravity. So and uh, so anyway, I fell in love with this thing and we don't have an espresso maker in my house. And we really don't need a big espresso maker that would make a lot. We just need one that would make a cup or two. Because, you know, that's all I'm looking for. Maybe a cup or two on the weekends, on Saturday or Sunday morning, before or after breakfast. So I ordered one of these um, Neapolitan flip coffee pots. and or ordered some special coffee. Because other than that, most of the coffee that we use is through a Keurig machine, the K-Cups. And uh, and I liked it. It was good. I tried it for the first time on Sunday. It was good. I'm not convinced if it's worth the effort uh, in terms of putting it on the pot, you know, on the stove, flipping it over, disposing of the coffee grinds, rinsing out the coffee pot. I'm not sure if it's worth the effort. I'm wondering if I'm just better. The the K-cups that I like for um, the Keurig machine are Cafe Bastello. These espresso style, very strong cups of coffee. It makes a regular cup of coffee, but it's super strong. It tastes like espresso. I'm wondering if I'm better off just using that. I'm wondering if anybody else uses this uh, Neapolitan flip coffee pot uh, anymore. It takes, you know, I don't know, a few extra minutes. I'm going to try it again this weekend, see how the coffee tastes. But I, I think you, the espresso is at best okay. It's not as if, it, for all that extra effort, it tastes better. I mean, I, it's better than nothing. And since I don't have a separate espresso machine, I suppose it is better than that. But eh, I'm just wondering if I'm better off just ha- enjoying this espresso-style Cafe Bastella. Curious if anybody has any experiences using one of these Neapolitan flip coffee pots, and if you still use it. I just started. If you have any any cool tips, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four, five open lines. If you want to jump on board, now's the time. Let me begin with BJ in Queens. Hello, BJ. Hey, Frank. You know, he was great, uh, Ben Mankiewicz. What a treat. Thanks for having him oh, on. Oh, sure. Thanks for saying that. Appreciate that. He, he, he had a wonderful – he turned me on to a wonderful John Ford movie called The Last Hurrah. Which he he hosted with his father, who, the, the Spencer uh, as, Tracy movie, The Last Hurrah. Yes, I love yes. that picture with Jeffrey Hunter. I think about that yes. movie all the time. I absolutely love it. I've loved it for years. That's what that that might be my favorite political movie. Oh, and he hosted it with his father. He was amazing. His father also has a lot of inside baseball. His father was one of the last people to hold. Um, uh, RFK and help him down off the uh, the podium in the, hmm. at the 
1968. He could go into that uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to him about that. But, uh, you know, uh, he's a liberal in the classic sense. He demands you to be challenged to 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 prove him wrong. He is what uh, he's not a leftist. He's a uh, he would probably may not even characterize himself as that. But he is who people uh, that I was trained in, in, uh, by in my Jesuit background taught you how to think, how to understand how you know what you know. And it's a, he, he could, you know, speaking with people like him could really, you know, they help you, they enlighten you. So uh, he's great. His brother's a big cheese, too, I think, on Channel 4. Yeah, he mentioned uh, he's a correspondent for Dateline. That's true. Yes, he's been you'll, – you'll know him right away, and then you'll put the two of them together as brothers. Um, I didn't call about that. I called about that evil person uh, that uh, killed that woman. Sure. Give me your two cents on that. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you boil it down, Frank, in the end of the day, there's no understanding anything. Some people are just bad. How does someone become bad? I think uh, I think it's the mis- part of the mystery of life. It's it's the, there's good and evil, and it's a constant struggle. So you think she's born that way, or is this learned behavior? I think she uh, it could be a kind. I, I don't know. Mm. I'll never know. No. You and I'll never know. Same here. And there's no way to know. I'm I'm just curious what what folks think on this. BJ, great call. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Sophia is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sophia. Hi, Frankie Morano. Hi, good evening. So I wanted to, first, Frank, I wanted to thank you for, I never got a chance to thank you for that that beautiful mention you made a few weeks back for my kidney. Yeah, we're still trying to get you one. Yeah, thank you. Don't stop trying. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. God bless you all. So I wanted to just give you uh, two two things, a, a tip on the coffee maker, the Neapolitan drip. Mm-hmm. It's called the drip, the Neapolitan drip. And uh, But before that, I wanted to, are you familiar with the uh, old TV series Wise Guy with Ray Sharkey? I'm familiar with it, but I never saw it, Sophia. Oh, Mamma Mia, that's one you have to. You know, you know Sophia, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you hold so you don't have to rush sure. through your comment. Yeah. We, we have uh, we have to get to news at the top of the hour. Hang on, everybody that's holding, hang on. We'll get to you in just a minute, and uh, we'll cover some other interesting things in just a bit. AC report coming up in a half hour. I'm excited. Uh, 800-848-WABC If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, until next hour, uh, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know that we spend a fair amount of time discussing UFOs, the possibility of extraterrestrials, the possibility of alien abductions, all that stuff. I'm into it. I can't get enough of it. I love to explore that uh, those subjects as much as we possibly can. And I remember last June, I was driving to Atlantic City with my wife, and I get a news alert that 
Finally, it's out. The Department of Defense released their long-awaited and much-hyped document called Preliminary Assessment Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. This was sneaked, slipped into a COVID stimulus bill that said the Department of Defense has to reveal what they know essentially about UFOs. And I got the call from El Jefe, uh, El Capitan, John Katsimatidis, uh, and Lydia Serrani. They're on the 5 p.m. show together. They said, hey, you got to come on with us at 5 p.m. So I read the report, and I go on with them, and I tell them exactly what the report says. Nothing. The report said nothing. The report basically said, oh, there are all these incidents of uh, UAPs, and we don't know what they are. It was one of the most anticlimactic things. It was the most anticlimactic thing since Al Capone's vault. So now a lot of us hope that UFO report would say something. I mean, I don't think we expected it to be a sort of watershed moment uh, that would show that the government was, you know, hiding aliens that that crash landed at Roswell. But the nine page report was totally underwhelming. It revealed all sorts of things that we already knew and read basically like a plea from the Department of Defense for more funding. So interestingly enough, at the time, we were told that members of Congress received a classified briefing with more information that would likely never be released to the public. Well, in comes John Greenwald, uh, an interesting guy. He runs a a website called The Black Vault, which publishes a lot of great stuff. And I've invited him on the show, but he's he's also the father of a newborn, so I haven't pushed too hard to get him to stay up until 3 a.m. But he gave us a gift yesterday. He got a redacted version of this classified report obtained by filing a mandatory declassification review. The version of the report that he got that he's published on the Black Vault is longer and much more interesting. It details, for example, the most common shapes of UFOs spotted by the military. Certain sections of this classified report, such as one called, quote, and a handful of UAP appear to demonstrate advanced technology, have far more detail on specific incidents that the Department of Defense can't explain and that are not mentioned in the public report, including seemingly two different incidents witnessed by multiple pilots and officers in the Navy. There's a section called UAP probably lack a single explanation. It seemingly attempts to go into greater depth exploring what those explanations can be and also has an extra redacted paragraph about what the Department of Defense believes could be attributed to foreign adversary systems. Most interestingly, though, redacted figures, images and diagrams in the classified reports explain what the Department of Defense to be uh, what the Department of Defense believes to be the most common shapes of UFOs, as well as less common irregular shapes. These sections are completely omitted in the public report and are unfortunately redacted in the version of the report that uh, Greenwald obtained and has now published on the Black Vault. The classified report also explains 
that the FBI has investigated and will continue to investigate UFOs in an attempt to ascertain the causes of the phenomena. A redacted section seems to explain which instances it has investigated. Quote, given the national security implications associated with potential threats posed by UAP operating in close proximity to sensitive military activities, installations, critical infrastructure, or other national security sites, the FBI is positioned to use its investigative capabilities and authorities to support deliberate Department of Defense and interagency efforts to determine attribution. So according to this report, the FBI is investigating this. Looks like they're taking it at least somewhat seriously. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Before the top of the hour, I was talking with Sophia in Brooklyn. Sophia, what were you going to say on the coffee front or on the wise guy front? Oh, the wise guy just put it on your list. It's one of the series you have. I, I really highly recommend it. It's so. It's just I can't say enough about it. With Ray Sharkey, if, if it's no, I think it was an HBO. I know you, you when when you get around to it. I know you will like it. The thing with the coffee, uh, a shortcut. You know, when you when you say flip, I'm assuming you're boiling, you're, you're filling the pot and then boil and boiling it and then flipping it over with the hot boiling coffee right. to go to right. Yes, yeah, so a shortcut is to not not do it that way. Leave the top. You know, the, which is, it's a little confusing. I hope I could explain this. So like the bottom of the coffee pot before you flip it, that's going to become the top, right? So you leave that off. Boil the water separately, you know, the amount of water you're going to need. And then pour the water on top into the basket. And then you put the 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 other half on it and let it drip that way. You don't need to boil it and then flip it, you know, and it's it's hard. It's awkward. You could burn yourself the, with the hot water. If you do it that way, it's a shortcut. It's a lot easier and it's just as good. I just made a pot of uh, espresso oh, really? before. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, I'll try it, Sophia. Try it. I think it'll work out good. And, and uh, another thing, Frankie, I make your aunt Camille's egg salad is exactly the way I make mine. It's so funny. I do exactly like a Hellman's mayonnaise, a little salt, lots of pepper, black pepper. I don't know if it tastes the same, but the, t- the method is the same. I may have to have you, you over to uh, give me a, a Maganette lesson and to try your egg salad, Zofia. Oh, I would love that. I would love that, yeah. You know, one thing on the Maganette, the thing, a little trivia if you have a, a second, um, Jack Nicholson, the actor in Pritzi's Honor, I was an extra on that years ago, and the guy used to bring me into his trailer to make him the espresso. None of them knew how to make it, you know, with the coffee pot. And they used to bring me in, and I don't know if they took the credit for it. I don't care. But, yeah, it was it was a, a little fun bit of trivia there. I used to make him coffee. Oh, that's pretty cool. Was he nice? Yeah. You know, I didn't really have that much interaction with him. Like I said, the guy, the, the techs, you know, they used to... the the. The, the guys that worked on the, the set used to kind of sneak me into his trailer. I don't even think he knew I was the one making his coffee. Um, I was in a scene, direct, the scene I was in was directed by John Huston, the late John Huston, and that was pretty pretty cool. He uh, he asked for a close-up on me. It was just so exciting. You know, those were the glamorous days of Hollywood. <laughs> that is, that's fun. Sophie, thanks for calling. Thanks for the You're tip. You're welcome. God bless. My love to you, little guy. Over there. Appreciate it. Thank Bless. you very much. 
website, WABC. See, we're talking governor's race, free speech, aliens, uh, uh, people getting shoved in the middle of the street, and espresso, and movies. I mean, do you know of another show that can cover this many topics in a shorter amount of time? Oh, and by the way, if that weren't enough, we're talking Atlantic City in 15 minutes. 800-848-WABC. Isabel is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Isabel. Hi, how are you? Um, I just wanted to quickly comment. I can't talk too loud because my roommate wakes up. Shh, okay. <laughs> but basically, the Bustelo that you mentioned is what I drink every day for the last 20 years. And that happens to be espresso coffee. If you look at the can or the bag, it'll say espresso on it. Well, that's what it tastes like. So, I, I mean, it does taste a little different than the espresso that you might get from an espresso machine or an espresso maker. But it is good. I think it's a pretty close approximation. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good stuff, though, Isabel. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mike. Yeah. Hi. Uh, nice to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, I, I caught the last minute of uh, Ben Mankiewicz uh, speaking to you, and I just wanted to mention a, a, a terrific William Hurt movie that got plaudits when it came out, uh, but nobody seems to mention it. Smoke. Smoke. I've never seen it. Tell me about it. Oh, oh, well, it's a terrific movie. It stars it stars Harvey Keitel. Mm. He owns what they call a smoke shop in Brooklyn. It was a lot of it was filmed in Park Slope and he takes pictures all the time and he runs into some kid, a, a young black kid who steals something from his smoke shop. And he tracks him down, and there's all sorts of uh, various interplays in there. William Hurt uh, takes in a takes in a fellow who is not that kid, but a but also a street person, who is the son of Forrest Whitaker, who lives somewhere in upstate New York with his wife. And the kid and William Hurt have this relationship. Hurt plays a a writer. And the kid is like a troubled kid, and he, and he speaks to the kid a lot, and he says, what's wrong? What's your story? And the kid says, well, I'm separated from my family. William Hurt eventually goes to see the um uh, to see the fa- to see the family, Forrest Whitaker and his wife and the kid, and he brings them together, yada yada yada. But then we get back. Yeah, well, don't give any spoilers away because I do want to check this film out. Oh, okay. I, I'm. It's an unbelievable film. It was actually. It was. Ba- I happen to live on the same block as Paul Auster, who I run into once in a while. I don't know. Nobody speaks to him. He's really pretty, pretty quiet guy. And he had written. A Christmas article for the New York Times back in 19... I'm looking on the computer now. The movie was 1995. So he wrote this Christmas piece for the New York Times back then, and it involved all these characters. And the one thing I really want to tell you, um, the last 10 minutes of the film, Harvey Keitel... He has a relationship. He ends up having a relationship. Again, no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. Okay. I, I take your word for it that you're going to see it, so I'll keep that. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it on my out. list. Thank you, uh, Mike. Okay. Appreciate that. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Ron is in Jersey City. Hello, Ron. Hello. Uh, the espresso machine. I use the uh, stovetop machine, but I don't do the flipper. I use the mocha, which is uh, basically well, yeah. a pot 
Huh? Sure. The, the, I mean, that that's a pretty good quality cup of espresso. It, it's good. It's good for a stovetop. Now, remember, it's not going to be the same as the machine that you have in the house or even if you go out to the uh, cafe. But uh, for, for a quick fix, it suffices. Um, it, it does a nice job. And Lavazza, the brand, um, it, it's a nice, strong, tasty cup uh, compared to uh, the machine. But, um, and, and, and it gives you a good, it gives you a lift too, but it's, it's nice when you're having a pastry after dinner, you know? Mm. No, that, uh, I, I, I will, uh, I, I've tried that many times before. I just, yeah. you know, my wife's not going to drink it. Uh, I, I, you know, she's such a, a stickler when it comes to getting more stuff, especially appliances that we're only going to use, you know, once a week or once a month that I have to use it judiciously. So I like the Magonette because it's a little, it's a little smaller, but that is, that's a better quality cup of espresso. No doubt about it. They they make them, they, they they make the single uh, machine. So you don't have, it doesn't take up as much room, but here's the problem with those little stovetops. Uh, everybody's buying the machines, and they're threatening to go out of business. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, Bialati. I think they're the uh, that that's the company that makes those smokers, those stovetops. Uh, getting parts is going to be difficult because they wear the uh, the gaskets on there, and um, it's a shame that everybody's going one route. Like you said, I think uh, your theory is better. You know, it's a small little machine; use it when need be. Exactly. And and I like the idea of uh, setting it up. Putting the coffee grinds into the filter, putting the yeah, it's a part uh, of a whole ritual. A, That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I will say, and thanks for the call, Ron. I will say, when you have a four-month-old screaming, and you know you have to get back to him pretty rapidly, you know, it, you, time does become precious. So something that could take a minute, if all of a sudden it takes fifteen minutes, that those precious minutes do count at certain times in your day. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Yeah, uh, I was trying to talk about that movie, Coda. I got to say, what a great movie. I I didn't expect that I was going to enjoy that movie. When I read the description, I was like, ah, I really don't want to watch. And I watched it, and I was tearing like a little baby. Same here. My wife, too. It was really, really well done. My my wife my wife says Chris you crying I'm I'm like uh, no no I yawned and, and some tears were coming and but anyway and as far as the lady being pushed you know I, I think Arthur Adala kind of led to something that it could have been an accident what if the girl tripped you know when you trip and you're falling you you're gonna knock into whatever is in front of you you never know it could have been an accident. Nobody's talking about that. Well, it's possible. It we'll see. Uh, you can bet if that's the case, uh, then. Arthur's going to give her a very vigorous defense, and uh, and we'll see what happens. But uh, based on what others are saying, I, I'm not so sure that was the case. But we'll see. We'll see if that was the case. You never know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay. How you doing, Frank? Uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of Folgers Coffee, Cincinnati's corporate office of uh, Procter & Gamble. And they have an amazing collection of silver coffee pots in their foyer. Uh, it's a grand opening when they open their corporate headquarters downtown. Everybody could take a tour, and it's just mind-blowing. Museum-quality collection. Just, really? Just very interesting. Okay. Uh, if I'm ever in Cincinnati, I will check it out. Another Jay is in Ohio. Hello, Jay. Jay? I'm wondering if that's the same Jay that was on two different lines. Jay going once, Jay going twice. 
I bet you he called on two different lines. Hello. What do you think? No? You think that's a, a separate J? All right. So be it. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in Patterson, New Jersey. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Well, I'm, uh, I'd say I'm, you know, I would, I would be better if, um, you know, if, uh, I, if I was a little stronger throat wise, but other than that, I'm doing fine. I once had a doctor who had, gave me a compounding uh, prescription. I'm a singer and, uh, it involved opium and whiskey. Well, I'm not ready as much as I like whiskey and I'm sure I would like opium. I'm not ready to go that route yet, uh, Mark. It didn't work, but it made you feel good. <laughs> I bet. You know, yesterday my wife, uh, she let me sleep for like seven or eight hours. And I think that was the the biggest aspect of my improvement thus far is being able to get some sleep. My wife said to me, she said, I think that's more that, you, that you've sleeped, you've slept in the last four months ever. And I think she's right. So I think that really played a role. Anyhow, um, the reason I called, I had a little bone to pick with you. Um, you had said in the very first segment, I've been on the hold for a while, um, that both parties are equally responsible for the free speech deal. And uh, you gave the example of the Republicans and Trump. However, I think you're confusing two things. Within a, a party has the right to set its standards. Cancel culture is saying to me that I'm not trying to be in your party. But I can't say what I want. That's a different story than, you know, a, you know, a, a church, a political party. They each have the right to their own doctrine. That's true. Uh, yeah. You know, it is. it's just these these purity tests that aren't even based on policy, but more personality that I take issue with. But even look, I, I did say and I agree, I agree with you that it's much more prevalent on a social basis on the left, I think people are much less likely, and I think that's why the Pew Research poll reflects that Republicans are much less likely to um, want to share their views with strangers than than Democrats because uh, the left is much better at making you a pariah. But I do think that while well intentioned, some of these books that have been banned uh, in places like Texas, but uh, from public libraries, some of these uh, laws that are well intentioned regarding critical race theory have really served to to hinder rather than encourage free speech. But I, I'll agree with you that culturally, socially, it is much more uh, prevalent on uh, you know on the left than it is the right. Yeah, well, in terms of those examples, I, I mean, I think that they're more in the educational context. I mean, kids have always had a special deal. You can't just uh, for for adults, you know, obviously anything should be fair game for kids. You know, sex, violence, you have to be a little more careful, I think. Yeah, uh, fair enough, Mark. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Jeffrey is in Queens. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Frank. Just want to come on the movie Smoke. Tell me about it without any spoilers. No spoilers. I know. I know. No spoilers. But well, I'll, I'll just say the Harvey Keitel scene had me crying so hard in, when I want to say the, in the early nineties that just to repeat the words now is bring is choking me up. Wow! Right now, and the, and the music during that scene was 
Tom Waits, You're Innocent When You Dream, a song I wasn't familiar with, but I identified that song with that scene. And if I hear that song, I see that whole scene again, and I never cried as hard. I'm choking up right now, Frank. Wow. I just put uh, it, I just, put, look, I, I hang out at cigar shops once in a while, so I think I really would like it. I just put it on my queue, in my queue from Netflix, so uh, right. I will get to it eventually. All right. Thank you, Jeffrey. 800-848-WABC. Henry in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Uh, uh, hi, Frank. Hi. Uh, about this uh, random acts of violence, it's no surprise to me. And the reason is we're bombarded every day with uh, visuals of the same thing occurring in movies, whether and hearing about it uh, in a different in a different way, uh, on the radio, somebody says someone got shot in the face, in the face for by someone they knew, as opposed to random. But if you see it in the movie, uh, you kind of accept it as part of the environment. And uh, and I think people, well, uh, from thinking of myself, people imagine themselves doing things like this all the time, except they don't do it. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, driving into an oncoming car or or uh, uh, So you think the media has helped desensitize people that to make them think, at least maybe on a subconscious level, that these acts really aren't so outrageous? Uh, absolutely. Very interesting. Well, Henry, it's as good of a theory as anything else I've heard. Thank you. Uh, if you're just tuning in wondering what we're talking about, I asked the question earlier about the shoving death. How does someone from a decent background, didn't grow up impoverished, is not doesn't appear to be suffering from mental illness, although you never know, uh, didn't grow up homeless, didn't come from a broken home, how does someone commit such an evil act? How do you go from, you know, I'm, I spent, keep going back to my four month old when he pouts, right? He just has to frown with his lower lip. And it just, I, 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 I feel like I want to cry, you know, because he's just so innocent, right? And how do you go from being an innocent child to someone that would commit a random act of violence? And, uh, I, I look, there's no way to answer the question, but it's certainly very frustrating. Uh, you know what else is frustrating? Not nearly as frustrating is uh, that I have not been to Atlantic City in far too long. So I used to I don't have an Atlantic City trip planned yet, although I'm hoping maybe we can go the weekend after Easter. But I found myself uh, looking forward to these Atlantic City segments the way that I used to look forward to going to Atlantic City. We'll talk to Michael Traeger from Travel Zork coming up next. He's an expert in dining, gambling, you name it, travel. Uh, a great guy and a, a terrific guest whenever he's on. He'll join me straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the AC Report. Well, it blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. And it blew up his house, too. 
Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble bussing in from out of state. And the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble on the promenade. And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fish your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. This is the other side of midnight, time for our annual weekly look, I should say, at what goes on in Atlantic City. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome back one of my favorite guests, uh, Michael Traeger. Michael Traeger is a national treasure. He is a luxury travel and casino, and casino gaming industry expert and entrepreneur with a, a website called TravelZork.com. Michael, welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the lovely uh, introduction. Michael, I got to share that one with my wife. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's the one that needs to hear it. Michael, if folks haven't heard you before, if they're not familiar with you, what is TravelZork? Uh, TravelZork is basically a website that's very focused on gambling experience, Atlantic City, Las Vegas. We also do a weekly segment on Vegas news. A lot that has to do with casino loyalty and also luxury travel. All right. Well, so some of the big news coming out of Atlantic City this week has to do with Caesars, Atlantic City, Caesars Palace, um, which we've been hearing they're going to do a lot of renovations. They're going to do some exciting things. And this week came the announcement that Ramsey's Hell's Kitchen will open at Caesars Atlantic City this summer. It's going to take over space previously occupied by concepts including a boardwalk beer garden, Dusk nightclub, and Planet Hollywood. How big of a deal is this? I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a pretty big deal. Though, I mean, it's amazing to me how how much Ramsey is doing with Caesars these days. I mean, almost – I mean, it seems like Las Vegas is also becoming like one gigantic uh, Gordon Ramsay restaurant. But I think Hell's Kitchen is a wonderful franchise or version of it. I've been to the one in Vegas numerous times. So I think this is – I think this is awesome. I'm sort of curious how they're going to totally modify that space too. I remember when Dusk went in mm. and that was – a pretty big deal. So, uh, you know, Gordon Ramsay is obviously very well known for his work on TV. Having been to the one in Vegas, what makes it so cool? What makes this restaurant so unique? I think it's a little bit of that. If you follow the if you follow the show, it's it's a really big deal to you. If you watch the whole Hell's Kitchen thing, even though it's really to me, it's it's a really good dining experience. It didn't. It doesn't really it didn't really strike me as, as more of an experience than a really good dining experience. Like my daughter was dying to go to it and she mm. was totally thrilled. The waiters are very like interactive and great. And 
it's it's just sort of it's and the food is sort of based on the on the show a little bit. I haven't I haven't watched all the seasons of the show, but you know the whole big deal about uh, beef Wellington. So that's uh, <laughs> something a lot of people order at Hell's Kitchen. But it's uh, it's cool. It's definitely cool. I think you know anything like this is positive. I like to see positive developments in Atlantic City. And when you mention Caesars now, Caesars is just about. I think they're almost completed with this enormous uh, room renovation. In Atlantic City, which is awesome. So the rooms are looking amazing at Caesars Atlantic City. And look at what's going on at Bally's, also another huge renovation. I mean, this is all great stuff, and I think that's super exciting. And Ocean is doing a renovation as well, right? Even though they're only a relatively new hotel. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know much about that one. Borgata just completed a completed a res- renovation, also. So I think you have and. Hard Rock is relatively new. I mean, I'm I'm most excited about what's going on at Bally's because mm. to me, Bally's, for lack of a better term, was always such an iconic property, especially with that huge escalator. You know, that to me was an amazing, you know, an amazing property. I'm just so happy that it's getting love. And also now that you have a new company and a new loyalty program in Atlantic City, and that kind of competition is great. Well, it is great, but that also means that if you play at at Trop, uh, Harris, or Caesars, you're not going to be able to use any points that you earn to get any any complimentary rooms at Bally's, right? That is that's definitely true. But it's always nice to have another program sure. to fall back on. I mean, and I guess that it's a very interesting thing as you were talking about, like your visits to Atlantic City. I guess it depends how often you visit, right? We know some people who are there almost every single weekend. So being able to leverage, you know, status matches and promotions at different casinos can can be pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I'm afraid to look at my st- my tiers for all my player cards because it's been far too long since I've been, and I'm afraid that. I'm dropped down to mere mortal status everywhere. Uh, but uh, I guess uh, whatever. I guess that's less money that I'm that I'm losing if that's the case. You know, when I go to Atlantic City or even a place like Vegas, which you're very familiar with, I, I find myself really uh, conflicted between wanting to try all the great modern new restaurants with all the bells and whistles and all the amenities and wanting to try a lot of the great old school dingy places that represent old school Atlantic City or old school Vegas. But Caesars, it's not just Hell's Kitchen that they're diving into the gourmet dining scene with, is it? They're they're branching out even beyond Hell's Kitchen, right? That's right. They're also going to have a uh, Nobu. So that's that's pretty that's pretty interesting too. You know, so that's another there's also a Nobu at Caesars in Vegas. I guess the only thing that's starting to make me a little bit sad is, you know, some of the restaurants that were at Caesars forever. Do you remember the Italian restaurant Primavera years ago? Yeah, I never I ate, just, I never ate there, but I, I do remember it. I, I was I was sad to see uh Budokan close and the Continental, both of which I really liked. Yeah, those were those were great places. And uh I just you know, it's so hard. The change is is diff- is really difficult sometimes, right? Because you you like the change, but then you also like some of the restaurants that have been there a long time. I was I was talking today on my podcast, which will drop next week, about the steakhouse at Circus Circus in Las Vegas and how so many people forget about it. And it's such an amazing, you know, good, well valued restaurant. And that's and that steakhouse has been in Vegas at Circus Circus since 1982, and it's that kind of 
thing that, you know, it's like, wow. And Atlantic City has a lot of that kind of history, but it's all sort of going away a little bit now. So that's, uh, I get a little bit sad about that because I love, I love thinking like what was there. Like I still refer to things as like, oh yeah, that's the location where Primavera was. Mm. And I still refer to Resorts World Las Vegas as the Stardust because I just, you know, I love, I love that history. Same, no, same here. Uh, in Atlantic City, one of the big debates right now, I get daily emails about this, is whether or not they're going to permanently ban smoking in Atlantic City. It was suspended during the pandemic. Uh, I enjoy a cigar occasionally. I like to, I used to really enjoy to go to the B bar and have a drink and a cigar. Uh, the Tropicana still has a great bar where you can sit and have a cigar and watch things happen. It's called 10 North. What do you think the status is at this point of uh, the efforts to permanently ban smoking in Atlantic City? It seems like with Steve Sweeney gone, there's a lot of momentum behind it at this point. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I've got, I have two emotions about this. I mean, my personal emotions, which are, it makes me really sad that this is going to happen just because there are just not that many places where you can smoke a cigar anymore. So I just, and I figure, you know, you're taking one of the last places away, but I I do understand the other side. I mean, the the one side of it, which I, I do understand is the employees, but I, I just, I often wonder if there is some way that, you know, people, when I read all of these reports, they're saying, no matter what you do with ventilation systems, it's never going to make a difference. And obviously, even though it's only 25% of the casino floor in Atlantic City, you know, obviously there are people who are exposed to smoke all day long. Mm. So I, I understand, you know, I understand, you know, maybe my personal pleasure should come second to other, you know, other people's health. I was surprised and I have, you know, my own like little theory about things in Nevada and Vegas was, you know, Vegas never stopped, uh, never stopped smoking during, uh, never banned smoking during COVID. So you were always allowed to smoke on the casino floor during COVID. And I was convinced that the reason why they never took it away in Nevada is because they never wanted to have the conversation about bringing it back again. Quite surprised that New Jersey brought <laughs> allowed smoking again after they, you know, had that hiatus, uh, for, for COVID. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, is it going to, you know, the, what's the big question? Is it going to hurt business? And I think at this point, in the genesis of casinos and the entire world being non-smoking, it probably isn't even with Pennsylvania casinos having uh, smoking. But the other side of me says, you know, 99% of the world is non-smoking. Can't we still have that 1%? Right, right. I, I think you and I view this exactly the the same way. Um, now, we're going into the nicer weather months in the Northeast, and uh, we're, we're, before you know it, summer's going to be here. Spring's already here, and that is when Atlantic City and Las Vegas start getting awfully crowded, and that is reflected in the room rates. Have we, have, have we started to see room rates in both Atlantic City and Las Vegas tick up? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, Vegas is a much different market than than Atlantic City because actually, and if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, Atlantic City's prime months are July and August, so those room rates are going to increase midweek and on the weekends, whereas Vegas is a little bit different sometimes because you can still wind up with some sweet spots in midweek deals because it's ridiculously warm in the mm. summer and if there's not a convention, uh, if there's not a convention in town. But I think it's it's sort of – I think one of the things that's very nice for people that if you are a consistent gambler – I mean you hear, you hear a couple of different things for people, but one, those comp rooms become more valuable – as the rates go up, if you're still getting comp rooms, you know, the other side of it is that criteria for giving comp rooms sometimes also modifies itself during times of, of high demand. But if you're a casino player, there are a couple of things that I always suggest that you keep an eye on. Well, what are they? They, well, first, you know, always be checking your casino offers. The other thing is if you have a free room offer for the summer, you should be looking right now. Uh, most of the casinos, you have about a 90 day window to book things, 90 to 120 days. So you should start looking at your casino offers, especially going into April. And you should start thinking about what weekends you're going to go mm. and check to see if you have comp rooms on those weekends. And if you do, you should just book some weekends on spec because most, almost all the time with comp rooms and marketing offers, you can cancel those rooms 72 hours before with no penalty. And, you know, you might as well grab it, even if you're getting good rates. You sure. know, some people, maybe you'll get Friday night comp and Saturday night will be $99. And you know how you go back and forth, I don't know which weekend I want to go to. But strategically, book anyway. You're saying even if you're not sure you're going in June or July, book anyway if you have a good rate or a comp room because those rates are only going up. Exactly. Of course, paying very close attention to terms and conditions. But I, I mean, I know people and I've done this. I used to do this years ago. You know, I would book out a couple of different weekends and keep notes in my calendar. And I knew I would be canceling some of them. But you know what? In April, I was able to get the comp room for June or July or in May, I was able to get the comp room for August. But once you get a week before, that all changes. So it's really good to plan ahead. Uh, and that's also, you know, with anything with travel, especially if, if the rates are refundable and the casinos are pretty good about that in, in Atlantic City, which is also another hedge that I used to use years ago is if it, if you wanted to only be in Atlantic City on a good weather weekend, you know, obviously since most of the cancellation policies for comp rooms are 72 hours, you have a pretty good idea what the weather is going to be like for the weekend. Mm, mm. Um, I have noticed sometimes in my own case that, uh, I'll be able to get a comp room last minute when that same room that same day was $100 or sometimes even $150. Absolutely. Last minute is brilliant. And never, never overlook looking at things last minute, like same day. If you can go somewhere on this on the same day, it it can really work out well for you. And that's also something to keep in mind, you know, with any loyalty programs right now. I mean, summer travel is going to be crazy. Airfares are going crazy. Hotel rates are really high. People want to redeem their Marriott Bonvoy points and other things for hotels. But, you know, Sometimes you can get a better deal if you're very flexible at the last minute. Maybe that room that was, would have been available, now they will release, you know, the availability. So that's something else to keep in mind. And it's just, just don't discount the fact that 
a week or two before there was no availability, that there'll definitely be no availability a day or two before, because that does change. It changes with airline frequent flyer programs, too. Sometimes when I have friends that are hanging out with me in Atlantic City uh, and they decide last minute, spur of the moment, that they want to spend the night, which they hadn't anticipated doing, and there's not a good rate available or a comp room available that I can get them or that they can get themselves – I'll direct them, at least I've done this in the past multiple times, to an app called Hotel Tonight. Do you have an opinion on an app like that, Hotel Tonight? Yeah, I used to. You know, I I paid a lot of attention to them when they first when they first dropped. They had some amazing deals yeah. for Atlantic City. I think they've gone become a little bit uh, a little bit more mainstream now. <laughs> but uh, definitely, I mean, the internet's amazing. You know. <laughs> It's there's so many specials from, uh, you know, different travel websites. It definitely pays. To well, do you have any favorites pitch. that you'd recommend to folks? Do I have any favorites? Uh, most most of what I pay attention to is uh, is points and luxury is points mm. and luxury travel. So I don't really pay attention to a lot of the discount websites anymore. But there there's a lot there's a lot out there. I mean. Even I was just talking to a friend earlier today about something on Expedia. We were able to find an airfare uh, routing on Ex- Expedia that was cheaper than we were able to find directly on another airline's website. Really? I mean, the one thing, the one tool that I really love, like the best tool ever, is Google Flights. Google Flights is brilliant because you can look at all different kinds of pricing and and routing and get a really good idea about about airfares. So that's something I do do. I use tools. You see, for me, it's more about like tools like Google Flights. I use Expert Flyer a lot with a lot with flying, just because you know airline stuff and airfares are just so crazy. Well, uh, that makes sense to me. Now, of the loyalty programs that are available in Atlantic City, so you have MGM at the Borgata, you have the Golden Nugget, which has their own loyalty program, you have Bally's, which has its own loyalty program, you have the Three Caesars properties, Harris, Caesars, Tropicana, and uh, you have Resorts, which has its own uh, loyalty program. What do you think in terms of comps, in terms of comp rooms, in terms of hard rock, of course, I can't forget them. What do you think offers the best comps uh, for the average gambler? I think for the for the average gambler, Caesars Rewards and MGM Rewards are really great programs. I used to give Caesars Rewards the the edge, but now that uh, MGM M Life became MGM Rewards, and actually they sort of copied some of the things from Caesars. I'm uh, I'm sort of giving them the edge on a big hmm. national program. And they've got a lot of stuff uh, going on. I did a great article on God Save the Points, or, hmm. you know, I thought it was pretty informative about, you know, some of the changes for uh, MGM, MGM rewards. And I think there's a lot of good stuff going on. But the biggest thing is now they, MGM rewards is also waiving resort fees, which is a huge deal in Las Vegas, a minor deal in Atlantic City for gold, gold tearing up. Oh, gold tearing up. I hate those resort fees. Uh, any other I know. changes uh, coming to the uh, MGM rewards program? They're planning some. They're they're planning more things which are not 
to gamify, to gamify your experience, which will be very interesting to see exactly how they go about it. But as far as what they've done with MGM rewards now, they've, you know, on the gold tier and up, they've added things like the, the celebration dinner and those kind of things. And also your earning is interesting because you earn tier, you earn on MGM's always been big as Caesars does this too, earning on spend, not just gambling. And you will earn tier points as well as reward points. And remember with MGM, those reward points are great because those are the points you use to get into somewhere like Amphora. So that's, that's good to keep in mind. But remember, you know, this status matching thing, there are, there are paths to, to get back to, you know, your gold status. So don't forget that one way is, uh, you know, Hyatt has a, has a program that matches, uh, from Hyatt to, to MGM, which is pretty good. Mm. So that's, there, there's a lot of stuff to, to keep in mind. Also Caesars, you know, Caesars also has these wonderful tier multiplier weekends, like April 14th through 17th. Uh, Caesars is doing five times tier multiplier and Caesars has these great daily, uh, tier multipliers. So if you do a certain number of tier points in a day, you get a bonus on top of those tier points. So getting to Caesars diamond, you know, organically, if you pay attention to those daily bonuses and those five times multipliers, like actually for someone like you, who hasn't been going that often, if you went during that multiplier period at Caesars, it's a really great time to consolidate your play. Yeah, clearly. I think think, uh, I have to see if I can get there. So that's April 14th through the 17th, if people want to plan for that. Now, speaking of Caesars, I learned from you that they have a program called National Casino Marketing. What is that? So national, national casino marketing is sort of cool because it's actually, it's a network of independent hosts who represent Caesars and they can be your Caesars host for all the properties in the country. And you're dealing with like individual small, you know, individual small businesses, which I love, you know, because it's like, they're usually, they're sometimes junket operators also. And they also sometimes represent different casinos because they are independent hosts. And it's a really, it's a really neat program. And because you get an on-site contact, but you also have like the same person you deal with. So if you want to go to New Orleans, if you want to go to Tahoe, if you want to go to Vegas, and there are, there are, there are a couple of different ones, but I've known, I've worked with one over the years at SNS Casino Tours, which is just like a super lovely family business. I don't get anything for saying this. They're just amazing people. And if you do gamble regularly at Caesars, it's something to think about. So how do you get one of these independent hosts? How do you get, how do you sign up for this? You just have to, you have to speak to them. If you, you know, if you come, we have a Travels Work Facebook group, but we talk about these kind of things, like about hosts and all of that. Now you have to be, you know, completely straight. You need to be a legitimate gambler. You have to like something, you know, people say, what does that mean? I say, well, maybe like for in the Caesars world, a couple thousand tier over the weekend. So if you're the kind of person who just goes with a hundred dollars and barely gambles, no host is going to be able to help you, but it's definitely something to look at. And I encourage people or reach out to me, you know, on Twitter at travels Orc. I always love giving those kind of recommendations because it gets you more bang for your casino buck. Mm. And also you know, these kind of hosts are, are great because since they represent other properties, uh, sometimes, you know, they can, you'll be somewhere else where there's another property and you'll be able, they'll be able to get you in there like a comp room. I got a comp, like 
I got a comp room in Niagara. I had never been there before because I was doing a road trip with my daughter just because based on the fact that, you know, my status and my play and that host knows it. So it's uh, it's sort of nice. But I love that, like, sort of small business personal. Absolutely. Uh, me too. Talking to Michael Traeger, uh, luxury travel and casino gaming uh, industry writer and entrepreneur. He's with TravelZork.com. Hey, uh, I understand you just got back from a transatlantic voyage on the Queen Mary 2. <laughs> What was that like? That was absolutely amazing. Uh, my parents, uh, my father and step uh, stepmother had their 40th anniversary and they love going on the Queen Mary, uh, except they didn't feel comfortable doing it themselves anymore. So I actually took them from the New York area to Hamburg, Germany, and we cruised from Hamburg to Southampton back to Brooklyn. And it was a pretty amazing experience. It's a very unusual year because they regularly don't do transatlantics in the winter. It would regularly, they'd regularly be on a world cruise, but because of COVID, everything changed. There was no world cruise this year. So it was pretty exciting because we hit three storms in the Atlantic and it, you're really like in the middle of nowhere in the ocean on this huge ocean liner. Queen Mary 2 is the only ocean liner left. I mean, other ships are cruise ships, but this is specifically built as an ocean liner. So it was awesome. And what cruise line is the Queen Mary 2? Uh, it is Cunard. Cunard. So Cunard has the Queen Mary 2, uh, the Queen Victoria, the Queen Elizabeth. Next year, uh, they're going to be launching the Queen Anne. And Cunard is actually owned by Carnival. Hmm. Awesome, Michael. So, I, I can't thank you enough for the insight and... Um, you have wet my appetite significantly that I'm going to make sure to schedule an Atlantic city trip today. You need to do that. You need to keep me posted on it. I keep thinking when we were talking about the status extensions, uh, British airways did an extension for, if you had a baby, you kept your elite status because they knew you wouldn't be traveling. And I kept thinking, God, the casino oh, should have done. They should, should. Shouldn't the casinos do Think about the goodwill they would get. They'd say, Hey, we know you just had a kid. We're going to extend your status for a year. You know, I wouldn't that be an amazing thing for one of the casinos to come up? No with? doubt about that it. I'm going to send uh, I'm going to send them the audio of this segment and hopefully that'll inspire some creative thinking. Absolutely. Michael well, Traeger, hope everyone checks you out and your podcast at uh, TravelsOrc.com. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. 1-800-848. WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Barkeep said, son, you got no one home Love so true to care for you To miss you when you're gone Said I had me a little this pretty young thing And then we tied the knot Well it came unwound but now i found That I'm glad with what I've got A whole lot of nothing No worries at all A whole lot of nothing I got no That's a uh... Oftentimes what I end up with when um, I have a rough time at the craps table. Although I must say 2021, I think I did pretty well overall. I hope that doesn't come back to bite me too much on my uh, on my taxes. I'm going to do the tax. We have an appointment to do our taxes probably next week. But um, speaking of Atlantic City, one of the people that we do talk about 
talk with in the AC report from time to time is my friend Harry Hurley. He's the morning man on a radio talk show down there, on a radio talk station down there. You also occasionally hear him filling in for Brian Kilmeade. You hear him as a guest on this show. Great guy. Used to work for Donald Trump before he was on the radio. And uh, I like Harry. And I go to his annual charity dinner every year. It's a lot of fun. I was there uh, last year with Tony Orlando and uh, Johnny Russo. It was great. And, you know, I've always said, whether it's uh, there or elsewhere, that the silent auction is an interesting thing. Is you you see all these great auction items, and you think, oh, wouldn't it be neat if I won one? And you start out hoping you win a silent auction item, and then as you get closer and closer, you say, oh, geez, do I really want to spend three hundred dollars on that? Do I really want to spend four hundred dollars on that? Am I really going to spend a thousand dollars on that? As you get closer and closer to the end of the night, especially if you've sobered up at all, you hope. You start out hoping you win the silent auction, and then you finish the night hoping you lose the silent auction so that you don't have to win. So anyway, at Harry's event this past year, I um, I bid on two nights at a bed and breakfast in Cape May. I figure, all right, you know, my wife and I go to Cape May all the time. We love Cape May. It'll be, you know, it'll be fun. So... My wife and I just planned the uh, to rent a house for a week in Cape May over the summer, which we generally do. And I thought, well, you know, I have these I have these nights that I booked. Why don't I you know, take that same week and offer two of those nights that I won through this uh silent auction and give them to my sister. So this way my sister can come down and be on vacation with us. And, uh, you know, we could certainly benefit from her help when it comes to child care, especially. But anyway, um, I didn't see until I spoke with Harry about actually going through with this reservation that the there's all sorts of restrictions on this. It's only October 17th to the 21st of 2021. Um, or and it's May 1st to May 5th, May 8th to May 12th, um, or May 16th to May 19th of 2022. So we wouldn't be able to use this in the summer. So I didn't know that. I didn't read the fine print. I mean, shame on me for not reading the fine print. But that's a real bummer. So maybe it'll turn out for the best. Maybe my wife and I can get away for a couple of days in mid, mid, earlier mid-May and use this. I'd hate to see it go to waste, but uh, that was a real bummer and a, a disappointment for all concerned. Next hour, who would you say has been the woman of the year? Think carefully and call me. 800-848-9222. Until then, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Been running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Tomorrow, everybody, this is the other side of midnight. Uh, I'm Frank Moreno. You know, we just had here at the radio station, not just at the radio station, but everywhere, International Women's Day. And we celebrated a lot of the women that uh, work here and a lot of the women in society at large and a lot of women who have achieved really, uh, really wonderful things. So um, for you might have just heard the news report from Bob Brown. You've probably heard about it already that Madeleine Albright, uh, the former secretary of state, who has repeatedly made these women of the year lists, um, she has passed away uh, after a uh, battle with cancer. So certainly sorry to see that. I um, have been a critic of her policy wise, but she certainly has a very compelling biography. Her parents and her family coming here, fleeing uh, first Nazi oppression and then communist oppression. And uh, for what she was able to achieve in the foreign policy realm um, at a time when women weren't necessarily embraced in the annals of foreign policy and lawmaking in general, you got to give her some credit for that. I certainly do. So in any event, it got me thinking, what if we, you and me, were to make our own list of the women of the year. Who do you think should be on it? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-WABC. Time Magazine, um, they recently chose the 2022 Women of the Year. And as part of their explanation, uh, they they highlighted... Um, Influential women, uh, women who have had an impact on the world, and their list of their 12 featured women who have reached across communities, generations, and borders to fight for a more inclusive and more equitable world. Now, under that same criteria, who do you think the real, the 2022 Women of the year are women who have reached across communities, generations and borders to fight for a more inclusive, equitable world. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-22. Now, in honor of National Women's Day, a lot of people did women of the year list Um, USA Today. They had named Melinda Gates and Simone Biles as their, as two of their women of the year. Uh, Dr. Rachel Levine, very controversial. Also, they named her as one of their women of the year. So if we were to make our own list, who would you put on it? Doesn't matter what field. It can be philanthropy, uh, the the business world. It could be uh, the media it could be sports. It could be anything. Politics, 800-848-WABC. I'll tell you who came to my mind first. And I, I was almost hesitant to say it because it's going to sound like I'm sucking up, which I'm not. But Margot Katsimatidis. Uh, Margot Katsimatidis is an incredible woman, one of the most incredible that I've ever known. Now, everybody knows that she and John, her husband, have a lot of money. And they give a lot of that money away to just about every charity you can imagine. <laughs> so, okay, 
lot of wealthy people do that. What impresses me about Margot is her the amount of work and the amount of effort that she puts into organizing these charity events and these special days honoring certain groups. I mean, the work that she puts into the PAL dinner, for instance, the work that she puts in uh, to organizing and approving things for International Women's Day and for Lunar New Year and for St. Patrick's Day and Columbus Day and everything, it's just phenomenal. And you think to yourself, this woman's a billionaire. She doesn't have to do any of this. She could uh, sit sit home all day and, you know, enjoy the lap of luxury, but she doesn't. She gets down in the gutter and works as hard as anybody. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to tell any tales out of school, but she's had a couple of issues with her back. And she's done a lot of this in severe back pain. And uh, she's really someone that I'm just in awe of. And on a personal level, she just manages to find the time to still be so considerate of her friends, kind of the little people uh, that she like me, for instance, that she knows of. She sent the nicest photo collage uh, when my son was born of, you know, pictures that she had taken from our Instagram or our Facebook and had it blown up. And I'm just thinking, when does she have the time to do this? So Margot's number one on my list. And again, I was hesitant to say it because while everything that I just said is true, I don't want to look like I'm sucking up at all, but I'd love to hear who you think if you were making a list of the women of the year for 2022, who would be on your list and why it could be someone well-known. It could be someone we don't know. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines. So if you call in now, you'll be able to get right through. Cindy is calling from here in New York. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Frank. Congrats on your your um, show. And also, I listen every night. Every Thank single you. night. Thank I, you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, good for your ratings. Um, look, I a couple of weeks ago, you had, well, a few months, you had a woman called Karen Turk who did an article or something on um, abusive guardianship. Yes. And I think you said she has a website. I wrote everything down and I lost it. So I would love to have it again uh, because I have a friend who is going through some changes and um, I think she's been abused. Also, you had a gentleman. I think it's a couple of weeks after that or, you know, he's associated with I forgot his name with um, Syracuse. He's a lawyer with Syracuse University. He also talked about guardianship and he gave some information about guardianship association that you can get in touch with. He gave some wonderful information. So I'd like to get his information again so I could get in touch with him also. Sure, sure. Um, Karen Turk's website is um, is very simple. It is um, Karen with a Y. Karen with a Y. K-A-R-Y. K-A-R-Y-N. Okay. Turk.com. K-A-R-Y-N. Turk.com. T-U-R-K.com. Yes. K-A-R-Y-T-U-R-K.com. Okay. Now, you told me when she appeared on your show, I called immediately after the show, after she got off, and I'd asked you for her 
or um, information, and you said if I send you a note, you'll send me a phone number or something that I can be in touch with her. Because I went to the library to do a research on her, and on a website comes up that she does a lot of things, um, uh, but it didn't have any phone number or anything on it. But you said you'd give it to me, so yeah, maybe I, I could well, I think a the, note. The best thing, uh, so I don't have her phone number. I book her through her publicist. I can give you uh, it, information. Yeah, on yeah, I can give that if you email me, or it's right on the website. If you go to the website, you can you can just click contact, and you'll be able to reach her through that. Yeah, but Frank, I don't have a computer at the moment. I just lost my laptop. So I see. Um, yeah, so, uh, so that's the only way I know of to get in touch with her. I know, but I mean, if I can get in touch with you and you can, um, you know, maybe give me our publicist sure. and I can get in touch with them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So all the other, now you said I can send you snail mail or I can email you. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, right. email's a lot easier, but, um, but yes, you can certainly send me some snail mail as well. Uh, where P.O. Box, Box 1777. Right. New York, New York, one zero. Um, I, One six three. Let me look that up for you. It is uh, P.O. Box one seven seven seven. Make sure you send it to my attention. New York, New York one zero one six three. Yes. One zero one six three. Yes. Now the other gentleman that you had, and he was fantastic. He's an attorney. He was with. He's at Syracuse now with Syracuse University, but he was with some other organization also. Yeah, um, I, his name escapes me. I will have to. Uh, I'll have to get that for you. Um, I, I I remember the segment. I remember everything about it. But it was uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, again, it's. Uh, it you know I do twenty or thirty hours of radio a week, so I don't I remember. Know. I don't remember that one uh, necessarily, but I'll. I remember the interview, but I just don't remember his name off the top of my head. But if you if you write to me, I'll, I'll look it up and get back to you with it. Okay. All right. You, do you get back fast? Because I know you are busy with Carmine and you're working so well, much. If you send me an email, now. I can get back to you right away. Yes, snail mail may take me a little while. Okay. Um, repeat the, uh, the email for me. It's frank.morano. You know, frank. I'm going to put you on hold. Philip okay. will give it to you, okay? Because okay, I want to get to some other people. Uh, Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. Hello. Um, yeah, so uh, j- just brought to mind... Uh, so I was look. I would look for uh, an excellent uh, female police officer who did something above and beyond. Well, so who would you pick specifically? <clears throat> I, I wouldn't have. I don't have somebody specifically, but um, just to show these people, like many of my friends, knuckle draggers, that women can be just, just you know can can be police officers and can do just a good, as good job, if not better, than men can. Uh, well, that's for sure. I'd love to make a list of specific names. Who would you pick as your 2022 Woman of the Year? Doesn't matter the field. Doesn't matter if they're famous or obscure. Who would it be and why? 800-848-WABC. Prester is in New Jersey. Hello. Prester? Oh, yes, Frank. How are you? Well, um... I have been going through, uh, you know, some throat issues, but I am pretty stable, I think. Uh, you know, I like your work ethics, and you are very uplifting. Thank you. Uh, by the way, you know, I like uh, to nominate Nancy Pelosi. Okay, how come? 
Oh, you know, I don't like our politics. You know, she, she has managed to achieve a lot, and um, she has been the long, the longest serving um, speaker. Okay. All right. Fair enough, Prester. Okay. So be it. Um, you know what? I, I don't know that that fits the criteria that I am um, talking about, reaching across communities and across borders to bring folks together. Who would you pick as your woman of the year? 800-848-WABC, 1-2-3-4-5-6 open lines. Ralph is in Manhattan. Hello, Ralph. Ralph is in New Jersey, Frankie. Ah, uh, New, New, New Jersey it is. Yes, it is. Um, two. Can I get two? Miss Corita Scott King. Wait, wait, who? France, France, who was that? Miss Corita Scott King. Oh, Coretta Scott the, King. That's right. And and um, Mother Teresa, a blessed memory. They're all blessed memory now. Right. Well, but and, that, uh, the uh, reason it, why Mother anybody, Teresa. Is there anybody living that you would pick? Oh, it has to be living? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if they're going to be a woman of the year uh, in the year 2022, I would assume it would be somebody that's alive well, in the they, year. They will, they, no, but they will, they will just get it, it posthumously, if I say that right, posthumously. Posthumously, posthumously. Right. Did, 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 But did I say that right, Frankie? Posthumously. Yeah, posthumously, yes. Posthumously. Okay, but, you know, let me just say something about the programming of WABC on weekends, okay? I like the fact that they have added hours to uh, most Nordly now, so that makes me not listen to Cordis Leo and the constant, you know, thing about Murano this, Murano that. I'm sick and tired of that already. I'm not listening. Okay? All right. Well, thank you, thank Ralph. You. I want to stay focused on making our list of the 2022 Women of the Year. So far, I'm pretty underwhelmed with these suggestions. So far, we have a police officer with no name. We have Nancy Pelosi, and we have two women that are now dead. Surely we can do better than that. 800-848-WABC. Jeff's in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Well, Frank, you know who the woman, my woman of the year is? It's got to be my wife, Peggy. Okay, tell us why. Uh, she's the love of my life, and she's a really down person. She loves cats. And she'll do anything for cat rescue people. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, all right. There you go. Peggy. Then we'll put Peggy on the list. Peter in Pennsylvania. Who do you think, if we're making a list of the 2022 Women of the Year, we should put on there? i tell you who I'll put on there, Frank. And it's somebody that I have done a complete 180 about. I would put on Greta Thunberg. Okay. Um, and uh, as I said, blah, I've blah, done blah, a one blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, I've done that was my initial feeling. Uh, I've done a complete 180 on her. I think she's got a lot of spunk, and I think that we need a little gadfly uh, to, to keep us reminded about the environment. And the thing that put me over the top, was a few years ago when Vladimir Putin came out and uh, was very critical of her and said, oh, she didn't understand anything. I figure if you're on his bad side, 
there's got to be something good about what you're doing. All right. That's not a bad one. She's made a lot of other lists this year as well. Uh, Greta Thunberg, Pamela in Central Jersey. What do you think, Pamela? Uh, Melania Trump. Melania Trump. How come? Uh, she handled all the slings and arrows that came at her with such dignity and protected her son when uh, things were, you know, done towards him. And always with dignity. She never lost control. Uh, somebody else might have, you know, <laughs> come back in a different way. But And she's so dignified and and handled her position so well. And she never really got any rewards for being the first lady. Well, that's a, that's a fine one. That's a fine one, Pamela. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-9222. So far, we have Melania Trump, Greta Thunberg. Nancy Pelosi, Margot Katsimatidis, an anonymous female police officer, Mother Teresa and Coretta Scott King. Keith in Manhattan, hello. Hey, Frank. Uh, I love both you and Curtis. Um, Thank the you. Answer to your question, I, the answer to your question uh, for me, and I feel strongly about this in 2022, is it's the young women college swimmers who are finally starting to speak out, who have been pushed aside and unable to qualify because biological men are invading their swimming lanes. Okay. All right. Any Anybody specifically that you want to put on the list? Well, I'm sorry I don't have a name, but they're starting to finally speak out. I mean, these are young women who gave up you know, being able to do normal activities with their friends and everything and swim since they were young girls. And now they're being pushed aside by men with bigger hands, bigger arms, bigger legs. Uh, I can't give you a name. Okay. Thank you, Keith. I'd love to get some names as we, you know, that's the thing with a list of the women of the year. It's helpful to actually be able to list them. 800-848-WABC. Jay is in Portville, New York. Jay, where's Portville? Portville is 60 miles south of Buffalo on the New York-Pennsylvania border. Cool. Love about, it. Okay. Uh, 80 miles east of Lake Erie. Cool. Right on the border. All right. So tell me who should be the 2022 woman or women well, of the year. There was a, a, a gentleman on there, and he took my name, Melania Trump. Uh, the lady stuck by Donald uh, through thick and thin, and I think we all know what that is. Uh, the man was not perfect. The man, uh, you know, probably wandered. I, I, I do believe. I'm 71 years old. I'm a widower, and uh, I, I just think that 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 she was eloquent, but she was down to earth. You know, you could put her in a cabin in, in Arkansas, and she'd look just as good act just as good, help the neighbors just as good as she did at, at 16. Well, look, I, I, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Melania. And when I met Melania with Donald, I'd met Donald several times, but when I met Melania with Donald, I, I said to him similar remarks about her. And I agree with that. You know, I'd love to pick somebody. I think she was a great first lady, but has she done anything this year that's worthy of special recognition? Maybe she has, but I'd love to pick some people that have accomplished some really noteworthy things or done something really special this year. 800-848-9222. Tony in Queens, what do you have for us, Tony? 
Good morning, good morning, good morning. So listen, I see all of these people are picking political figures. And that's okay, and I get it, and, and I totally understand, because we want a woman of the year. But there's one woman that when I mention this, you're going to say, aha, how about moms? They go to bed tired. They effortlessly give everything they have, effortlessly give everything they have, lose sleep, give up food so that their children. Look at little Colin. He's got a beautiful mom, your wife. Well, 100%, 100%. I, I, now, I think my wife is person of the year to my to me and to my son it's just i don't know if she would qualify as a person of the year for the whole country well each of us have our own mom yeah that's that's so true why can't it be a mother in the sense that um listen w- without moms we wouldn't be here Fair. and they give so much for us now I, I get what you're saying all of these other people political figures but on on a sidebar on a side note Mom's rate just as high, in my opinion. Well, Tony, I certainly am not going to dispute you there. Again, I'd love to get some specific names, if we can. 800-848-9222. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, I am Sarah, doing just fine, I guess. Good. Sarah Mackey. Uh, remind, tell me who Sarah Mackey is. Sarah Mackey's my daughter that... Um, chose to work with special ed kids since she was in high school, and now she is a special needs teacher, and she, she was taking her exam, and I talked to her, and I said, you'll do fine, you're smart. She goes, no, Dad, you don't understand. I have to be able to teach these children what they need to know, and that's what's weighing so hard on me, and now she has accomplished that and is a special needs teacher and enjoys her work and enjoys teaching these children that start out at the end of the line. Uh, well, that's very nice. And uh, I, I think that's certainly certainly worthy of some recognition. Robert in Rockaway, what do you have for us? Hey, buddy, how are you? Well, uh, I guess that remains to be seen, but I think I'm doing okay. Robert? Well, I guess I threw him with that answer. All right. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Jim is on the Parkway. Hello there, Jim. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'd like to nominate Mary Ellen Klein. She's the CEO of Claremont Medical Center, part of the Barnabas Cooperman uh, healthcare system. She managed to uh, dry, uh, keep everyone safe uh, throughout the pandemic, never missing a day of work, organizing uh all of the nurses and ancillary services and saving countless numbers of lives uh, where we lost five physicians to COVID. She also had COVID, got through it, and came right back to work. I mean, I think she did a spectacular job, and uh, we now have uh, a significant decrease in the number of COVID cases. We have less people on respirators. We haven't had an, a, lo- a large number of deaths, and she is responsible for all of that. I think, that's, I, I think that's a great one. Uh, that is a five-star. That's exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for. Uh, 800-848-9222. Bill is in New Hampshire. Hello, Bill. Howdy doody. Um, Miranda Devine, the writer of the book uh, Laptop from Hell, because I think uh, eventually uh, this is going to uh, turn a lot of things on its ear, and uh, I think uh, her courage and uh, what she went through and the put-downs and uh, uh, the press attacking her and uh, the politicians attacking her and um, for Nancy Pelosi, uh, I want to nominate her for the 
first woman to be Speaker of the House and the first woman to lose the Speaker of the House twice. All right. Well, that's, you know, it's a little too political for me, both of those picks, honestly. Uh, I get a lot of people like Miranda Devine, but, you know, she might be a, a great columnist. But what did she do? She wrote a book about a subject that she knew would appeal to conservatives when her base is primarily conservatives. Is is it that is that that much of a, an accomplishment? Uh, maybe it is. Uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking someone more who has done some great charitable work or somebody who's done something extraordinary, somebody that saved lives, um, not somebody that's spent time writing a book, you know, that appeals to a base of people that already agree with her. But that's my opinion. That's the thing. Uh, 800-848-9222. Who do you think? George is in New Jersey. Hello. Hi, Frank. Great show. Great topic. Thank you. Uh, love love the selections. Uh, my selection, maybe selfishly, is my wife also. Her name is Jennifer. Uh, and I'll just give you a little taste of her. She, uh, she does so much charity work. She doesn't do it for her. She wants to wave the pom-poms. Hey, look at me. But I never realized the extent of charity work. She's very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. She sponsors many people to help change and save their lives. And I've seen it personally. I never realized the charity, the money that she gives away until we did our returns this year. And and, and the, the amount of um, different areas, St. Jude's, all these wonderful charities. But she does it for no other reason. But to help people, she doesn't ask for accolades. She doesn't ask, hey, look at me. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And for me, that's what it should be. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Uh, And it sounds like you're a lucky guy as well. 800-848-9222. So this didn't happen this year, but I have a friend, Danielle, who years ago, she gave her kidney to a coworker that at the time, who at the time she barely knew. That to me is somebody that's worthy of special recognition. Somebody that would give an organ while they're living to not a relative, but to uh, someone who's a little more than a stranger. That's a real hero in my book. 800-848-9222. Although it sounds like um, that gentleman's wife definitely fits that description. Uh, Patricia in Brooklyn, hello. Hello, Frank. Good morning. morning. I would... In my heart, it's got to be the first lady of Ukraine. She's got guts. She's got courage. She gives hope. And I mean, can you imagine the idea that your children could be assassinated simply because of who their father is? Mm. She's mm. got. She's got what you guys call a coconut. I don't know that expression. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Alina Zelensky. That's cool. that's a good one. She definitely has shown a lot of bravery. And a lot of poise in some difficult times. She's a tremendous human being. That's a good one. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Bobby in Brooklyn, what do you have for us? Yes, good morning, Frank. Morning. Okay. Okay, we have Janine Pirro. For what? Tammy Bruce. For the woman of the year. Right, right. But what did they do? What did they do? Well, they go, all right, Tulsi Gabbard. What did she do? She's nice. And put Kamala Harris. Right, so what did, what did each of them do? Yes, tell me. Each of them do? Well, I can't go through the whole thing, but I know. Well, tell me not, why you're picking uh, them. You know, they're, they're, they're not low-level people. You know? Right, so I mean, why are you I, picking them? 
Well, you won one minute a year. I'm giving you my idea. Right, for right. The so I year. asked you who and why. So we got the who. Why? Well, that's, that's right. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say that. But I, what was the reason why again? All right. Thank Did you. I ask? Thank you. Mike in Monroe. Hello. Hello, hi. Uh, Mike, I'm sorry. You, you, you sound like you're calling on a on a phone that, you know, Andy in Staten Island uses. Tell, I can't hear what you're saying. How are you doing, Frank? How are you doing? I'd be better if I could hear you. But other than that, tell me who your nominee is for Woman of the Year. Katanya Brown-Smith. Ah, Katanya Brown-Smith. Uh, who's Katanya yeah. Brown-Smith? Tell me. She's the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. Uh, is she related to Katanji Brown Jackson? Excuse me. All right. You win. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm going to call this a fail as a segment. Uh, we got some good nominees. We got some good ones. But um, it seems like a lot of people wanted to nominate people that are either dead or have no name or have the wrong name which I'll call a fail. Uh, we'll do one last one here. We'll try John in Morristown. Hello, John. Hey, uh, morning, morning. I got uh, Erica Nardini, uh, CEO of Barstool Sports. Okay, and, and how come? What did she do? Uh, it, uh, Barstool Sports this year, I think they got uh, a lot of traction in the, the certainly the gambling world, and uh, she is one of the women that spearheaded that. So are you nominating her just for being a, a female trailblazer or is it for something specific? Yeah, I think she uh, really kind of broke through the noise for uh, for a lot of women and uh, is very vocal about about getting ahead of uh, all that. All right. Thank you, Erica Nardini. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. All right. We're going to do we're going to give you an opportunity to win a thousand dollars next uh, be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Frank Marano, 77 WABC. That is feel right. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, now we're going to give one lucky person an opportunity to win $1,000 because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Uh, let's meet today's contestant, Alan in Smithtown. Hello, Alan. Good morning. Good morning, Alan. What, uh, what finds you awake at this early hour? You know what? I just got in my truck. I was just about to make a delivery. I turned on the radio, and I heard something about a thousand dollars. Wonderful. Okay. I didn't know what I was doing. All right. Great. Okay, so the way the, this is going, the way this is going to work is, I'm going to ask you ten trivia questions, most of which are pretty easy, and if you can answer all ten of them 
within 60 seconds correctly, you will uh, get $1,000. The timer will begin after I ask you the first question. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next one so we can work our way through these quickly. You ready to go? Far away. Okay. Timer's going to begin after I ask the first question. How many wheels does a tricycle have? Three. How many dwarves were there in Snow White? Seven. How many feet are in a yard? Thirty-six. No, I'm I'm sorry. There's there's three feet in a yard. Twelve times three, thirty-six. No, there's um there's three feet in a yard, right? Oh, thirty-six inches. Right, right. So the question was about about feet. So I got it wrong, you're saying. Well, yeah, because you said 36 when the answer is three. I know, I know. Yeah. I answered it wrong. I'm sorry. All right, Alan. Thank you. That, that, I, I'm, I appreciate you listening. We're still going to give you a consolation prize. Stay on hold, and Philippe's going to take your information. See, I think what happened there, and that's a r- rookie mistake, and l- learn this for tomorrow or, it, or whenever you get an opportunity to play the game. He rushed. He rushed and didn't listen to the question. He actually did an extra step of math, multiplying three times 12, uh, because there are 12 inches in a foot and there are three feet in a yard. He knew the answer. He rushed. That's the thing. You can't rush. That's the thing. All right. um, So I am told, I am feeling... Well enough, even though my throat does hurt, just on the left side. I'm hoping, hoping when I get to the uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor this afternoon, they can um, take a look at it and explain what the problem is and diagnose it appropriately. Um, I am returning to the Bernie and Sid show today where I will do the first hour, the 6 o'clock hour. So I'll be on from 6 to 7 o'clock with Bernard McGurk. And then uh, my friend Congressman Peter King will come on from 7 until 10. They've got some great guests on uh, today's show as well. Bill O'Reilly is going to be on at uh, 8.40. They've got uh, Lydia Reports. And uh, they've got uh, some other some other fun stuff on the agenda. But Thursday is usually the highest rated day of the week. Uh, I guess it's because of Bill O'Reilly and how popular he is. Certainly very popular with his show at 9 p.m. So hopefully the old voice can uh, hold off, hold out long enough for me to do an hour of radio with my friend Bernard McGurk. And then uh, be sure to listen to Bernie and Pete King until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, um, you want to if you, if you want to weigh in on social media on anything we're discussing, you could find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Morano fan. Uh, that's the place that I generally go to post the articles that we're talking about, including that New York Times editorial that I began the show with. And uh, you can also join the Facebook group on there, facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. I want to say uh, a word about uh, uh, to the Fasella family when I express my condolences to the Fasella family. Um, Vito Fasella is the Staten Island Borough president. He was our congressman for years. You hear him regularly on this station, especially on the Cats at Night show. He's a friend of mine for a long time. And uh, 
Unfortunately, his sister Kathy has passed away at the age of 60. And I know both of her parents listen to this show uh, from time to time. And I just want to express my sincere um, condolences to to Kathy. Uh, She was a paralegal and a passionate volunteer. I really um, got to know her well uh, when we were both working on Vito's campaign for Congress in 2006. She basically, she wasn't the campaign manager, but she may as well have been. Uh, She and her uncle Frank, they ran that campaign. Uh, They coordinated all the volunteers they were um, – They Kathy was incredible, a very nice lady. I haven't seen her in um, in a number of years, but uh, whenever I saw her, we got along well, and uh, certainly she's going to be missed. She was a, a big animal lover, and uh, she leaves behind a, a lot of family that really, really cared about her. Uh, she was a paralegal in the Richmond County DA's office under, uh, under Mike McMahon, and uh, everybody there – apparently has nothing but great things to say about her as well. So um, I'm sorry I wasn't able to make her wake uh, yesterday because, one, actually I didn't know about it until afterwards, but even if I did know about it, I don't think I would have been able to make it because uh, my throat was in such bad shape and I was I was really out of commission. But uh, I know her folks listen to this show, and uh, I want to give her a posthumous shout-out because she was a really nice lady and I want to offer my sincere condolences to the entire Fasella family. Uh, I also want to mention a story that we've been covering for quite some time. The case of my friend Sal Greco. Sal Greco is a police officer who is in the midst of being railroaded. There is an NYPD departmental trial going on right now. And this trial is all about him being friends with Roger Stone. And that trial started yesterday at one police plaza. And of all people, you know who showed up to support him? I would have been there if, again, my throat wasn't in such bad shape. Roger Stone showed up at NYPD headquarters in New York yesterday to support Officer Sal Greco in his departmental trial. So um, the NYPD prosecutors went through phone records and hotel bills that they say prove that Officer Sal Greco, who's been a cop for 14 years, that say Officer Sal Greco and Stone were in repeated contact and were at the Willard Hotel together during the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Now, I want to repeat, Sal has been accused of breaking no laws. Sal was not one of the people that stormed the Capitol. Um, and now they're trying to discipline him for violating departmental rules by allegedly acting as Roger Stone's bodyguard. He was not Roger Stone's bodyguard. I know Sal and I know Roger and I've been with the two of them together. There's no bodyguarding. Sal's his friend. And it's crazy what the department is doing to him. And the guy that I'm really disappointed in for not speaking up on this is Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor Eric Adams has written in his book about when he was a cop, 
he actually did work as a security person for Mike Tyson, who at the time was a convicted felon. I, I don't have an issue with it. Would doing what he was doing off duty. Eric Adams, whenever he's questioned by reporters about fraternizing with convicted felons, he says, look, these people pay their debt to society. So the department is trying to jam Sal up or associating with known felons when the mayor does that. I don't think that's right. And I think the mayor's silence is deafening on this issue. He's spoken out rightly on uh, a lot of issues when people are critical of the cops before. But he hasn't spoken out on this one. And uh, I wish he would. I wish he would. There's a website uh, set up to help Sal with his legal bills. You can go to helpthisnycop.com. That's helpthisnycop.com. As I understand it, the trial has been post the continuation. I think Roger kind of shocked everybody by being there today. Um, the continuation of the trial is going to be on um, the 29th, M- March 29th, I believe. I'm going to try and be there. I'm hoping my uh, throat recovers enough so that I can sacrifice a few hours of sleep to do that. And I hope all of you will join me there as well to see firsthand what's being done to one of New York's finest who broke no law and who did nothing wrong. I think it's a real, real shame what's happening. Uh, in addition to being on the Bernie and Sid show this week from six to seven, I will be filling in for, uh, I'm told, or this is all subject to change, all four hours of the Bernie and Sid show Friday morning from 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. So you can plan your listening accordingly. If you missed any portion of today's show, you're going to want to make sure you listen to the the podcast. Now, the best way that you can catch up on the podcast is by subscribing to it. You can go to WABCRadio.com or you can just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app. If you ever want to email me, you can email me at frank.morano at WABCRadio.com. That's frank.morano at WABCRadio.com. Com. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in uh, just a few minutes. So if you want to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds, now's the time. You can dial 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. For this terrific song. If you ever want to know what kind of music we play on this show, 
uh, we post it in the Facebook group. I am going to post it right now. Uh, you can join the Facebook group by searching on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. We don't care if you like the show. Uh, just that you listen to it. That's the only criteria to joining the Facebook group. Obviously, we'd prefer you to like it. But, honestly, we want everybody listening, even if you don't like it. Um, meantime, the big news on the second floor here is that we have a fresh new batch of my Aunt Camille's egg salad. Uh, Matt Blaze, have you tried the fresh new batch of egg salad? I have not had the new batch yet. Because I'm waiting because I need, I need to make a sandwich. I can't just eat the egg salad out of a bowl. It just doesn't work for me that way. Uh, all right. Oh, you mentioned. Oh, I, and I you told know, you that there's no bread. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned this that because we're doing this stand with Ukraine roundtable today at noon. By the way, I forgot to mention that. Let me mention that. Rita asked me to promote that. So let me promote that big time. Um, Today at noon, Rita's going to be joined by representatives of Ukraine, Poland, the Vatican, a lot of other countries uh, for a Stand with Ukraine hour. That's going to be noon to one right here on WABC. And um, it's going to be big and it's going to be one of the kickoffs of our humanitarian effort where we're going to try and raise a lot of humanitarian aid for Ukraine. And uh, you can donate by going to WABCRadio.com. The first $25,000, by the way, is going to be matched by our owner, John Katsimatidis, which is very nice. But, uh, but I, you know, when they have a lot of visitors here, they try to make everything look nice. So there's normally snacks and everything, and they've put a lot of that away, including the bread, which you need yes. to do the egg salad. The bread is locked away somewhere because they have the hot plates out getting ready for the food they're going to bring in for today. Uh, so the bread is not there, so I'll have to wait till tomorrow. And tomorrow I will have the egg salad. Philippe, did you try it, or are you doing a similar bread-waiting method? No, I didn't even know it was a thing that like you had. You brought it in. Matt told me it after I already ordered takeout, so I got that instead. All right. Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Something to look forward to. All right. Uh, by the way, when I put the egg salad in the refrigerator, and anyone who's here is welcome to try it, but when I put the egg salad in the refrigerator, you know, I started to look around a little bit because the refrigerator is getting to the point where it's overstuffed. There's a lot of stuff in there. Have you noticed this? There, there, are, there is there a lot of stuff in there. So and a lot of it is duplicative, I've also noticed. And so I, I see on the second shelf a whole bunch of butters and I decide without putting much effort in, without moving too much around – I decided, let me count how many containers of butter I can find in this refrigerator. How many butters do you think are in the refrigerator? I didn't count. I did notice there was a lot. There is. There's got to be at least, what, five or six? Five or six. What do you think, Philippe? Um, I, you're, you're making it seem like there's a lot. I don't want to overguess. I saw an open stick of butter. That was an exposed. Right, I'm counting that. Okay, yeah, I, I would probably say I would probably say six is a good guess. Six. I counted thirteen separate containers of butter wow. in the refrigerator. All different kinds of butter. There's there's uh, salted butter. There's whipped butter. There's Lando like. There's every type of uh, brand of butter. There's a lot of cream cheeses as well. But I only saw maybe three or four cream cheeses. Thirteen different types of butter. Now, unfortunately, the the reality is a lot of this butter is going to go to waste. I'm kind of thinking maybe we should all take a stick home, you know, so that we 
don't run out of butter at home it's and like it doesn't go to waste. Butter for every occasion. That's a, <laughs> a lot variety of butter. Of butter. You got the stick, you got the whipped, you got it in the tub. There's, there's yellow butter, there's uh, right. salted butter, there's all sorts of butter. Sweet butter. It's a lot of butter. I'm going to say because of the St. Patrick's Day festivities and all the bread that was here. And the potatoes. And the potatoes. That is the reason why there is an overabundance of butter that will ultimately go to waste. It will. And be in the refrigerator six months from now. So there's a butter glut. So I think, look, I, I think we, I at least, I can't speak for you guys, I do my part to contribute to the communal foods in the refrigerator with pizza and egg salad. I feel like I'm on pretty firm footing bringing a, a container of butter home. I think right? you're okay with that. I, think, I mean, I mean, oh, it's going to get thrown away. So that's what I'm going to do. Unless anybody tells me not to, I'm going to grab a stick of butter when I leave here at 7 a.m. By the way, just a reminder, this holds up. I will be co-hosting the first hour of the Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 7 with Bernard McGurk until uh, Peter King takes over at 7. But now it's time for you to be heard. Uh, if you've ever dreamt of saying something for 15 seconds, your dream is about to come true. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hello, Frank. My kid's Spanish teacher is having a bad day. She tells the class I'm going to disappear on the count of three. You hear uno, ghosts, and she disappears without a trace. Neil on Staten Island. Yeah, uh, Andrew Cuomo is trying to make a political comeback advertising. Let's not forget that this is the skunk that signed bail reform into law and screwed us royally. Tom in New Jersey. Obama used the FBI to spy on Trump running for president. And you know who else? Mitt Romney. The only problem, Mitt Romney's too dumb to know it. John in Hoboken. Hi, Frank. My name is Frankie Soprano. If the case could have I don't remember. <laughs> John in Brooklyn. At 20 minutes before 8 Central Time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with... Mason on Long Island. Hey, Frank. Good morning to you, sir. I'm glad you're getting better. I just want to say, as a public service announcement, we all have to be a little concerned of this new variant of the Omicron, the sub-variant of it, because the transmissibility is just so high. Dr. Mason Pimler, um, I want to get you on as a guest on this show very soon. We'll take listener questions. Great guy, great doctor, and a good friend. Robert in New Jersey. Uh, how are you doing, uh, Frank? I would like to nominate Leah Thompson. Soon she's going to be breaking all the women's records in swimming. Uh, she <laughs> should be a woman of the year. John in Connecticut. Frank, how do you make a piece of butter? Uh, how do you make a piece of butter? Feels good. I give up. Butter it up. Oh, that's pretty good. Mike on Staten Island. I can't believe you're going to waste that butter when they're solving children in Africa. Well, we may send some of this butter to Africa. Joe in Forest Hills. Billy in Brooklyn. Anthony in Edison. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, I think we're at about 228 days now until the red wave in November. 
and hopefully we can wash away some of the damage from the two biggest traitors America's ever known, Obama and Biden. Anthony and Astoria. If Arby's wants to compete with McDonald's, they're going to need a catchy song. They should hire the Go-Go's to sing, We got the beef, we got the beef, we got the beef, yeah, we got the beef. That's actually very clever. And finally, Fred and Garfield. Uh, Curtis Lee's wife, Nancy, has a beautiful speaking voice. She should do uh, dog food commercials or something. And I think everybody would enjoy listening. Thank you, Fred. Uh, The WABC Early News is next. I'll be back at 6 a.m. Frank Moreno, good day.